You ready? 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 One, two, three, four! features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. 
Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, and ladies and gentlemen, we are on Chitrin Watch. That's right. The NHL right now is at a standstill where it looks like Jacob Chitrin the top defenseman uh, on the trade market currently may be on the move as he has been listed as out tonight of the Arizona Coyotes game due to, and I quote, trade reasons. Now, they wouldn't exactly exactly say if he was healthy or anything else other than just it's trade reasons. So I think right now we are on Chitrin watch. And who knows, we may have news drop at, at any point during tonight's show. Uh, but we have, a, we have a lot of stuff, though, to cover tonight. And by, by the way, uh, I know Diane and Lou are on right now. Diane, do not rule out uh, the Devils possibly making a, making a, a trade for him. Hmm. I think we're going to go on anything. You think well, we're doing so well, we need a trade. Well, you you would think that, but uh, then again, you would say the same thing about the Boston Bruins and look at where exactly. look at where they are right now. Unstoppable. But this is making well, great and, time because you know because sometimes you know you can get a trade, but it could have to be a bad trade, and you wind up going from you know first in the conference to maybe sticking down like fifth or sixth. So you gotta be careful when you get these trades because one could just could screw your whole team right up. Possibly. Have you heard about any team in particular? It's happened a lot well, of what, okay. what is known right what is known right now is that according to Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet, sounds like he will not be going to Edmonton, Toronto, or Los Angeles, which is really odd considering Los Angeles and Boston were the two teams that were most commonly linked to Jacob Chitrin. And Edmonton, from all accounts, it sounds like they have ramped up talks with San Jose for their star defenseman, Eric Carlson, who uh, mm-hmm. hockey fans may remember as uh, being the long-term stud uh, previously of the Ottawa Senators. But, I think I recall that, yes. So, it, it, and it also looks like Toronto may be – uh, jumping around to Tyler Myers trade potentially. So uh, huh. there's definitely there's a lot of things up in the air right now. Uh, awesome. Right now, right now though, from what it looks like, it looks like it could be Calgary, Boston, or maybe an outside team for Jacob Chitrin. And stay tuned, folks. Just to, yeah, yeah. Everybody's gonna to want to stay tuned because who knows? You know, uh, the trade may actually happen while we're on the air here. Uh, Jacob Chitrin, Jacob Chitrin, uh, so far this season, seven goals and twenty-one assists on the top defensive line for the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, he also has, I believe, two years remaining on his deal. So whoever trades for him is going to be getting term. Uh, which would mean that Arizona would be getting a larger package in return. Uh, But uh, so we will keep an eye on that. We also have the NBA trade deadline to cover tonight. And 
good God Almighty, were there a whole bunch of deals that were made? You can uh, say that again. We have the joke that is the Pro Bowl to cover. Uh, we also have... I'll say, I'll say one thing, Steve, about that. What the hell was that? I think a lot of people could be saying that, Lou. Uh, and we, ha- we have also added Kyle onto the line. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Kyle? Good, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, we're all doing good. We have Lou and we have Diane uh, on the line with us right now. Uh, first topic I was going to cover, well, before the Chitrin news, because I figured I would get that right out the bat. Uh, so we we have to pretty we have to pretty much uh, talk about the Super Bowl because we 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 we, we talked about it last week. We talked about it last week, and obviously there's been a couple more developments that have happened since uh, since we went off the air last week. Uh, for starters, McCall Hardman is out for the Kansas City Chiefs. He has been placed on injured reserve. However, Clyde Edward Tallaire has been reactivated, and he will officially be playing in tomorrow's Super Bowl. Uh, just in time for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, some other little tidbits. It sounds like, for the most part, everybody is healthy. Uh, Lane Johnson was taken off of the injury report for the uh, for the Eagles. Uh, I believe Hertz was also taken off of the injury report as well. So, for the most part, and also I, I believe Juju Smith-Schuster is likely going to play tomorrow for Kansas City. Uh, uh-huh. So it, it looks like it looks like for the most part, both teams are healthy. That's the important part because uh, one injury can really can really make a difference. And the line is still one and a half for uh, in favor of Philadelphia. Okay, uh, obviously, so the line one and a half. So why are you making these big predictions? Like, oh, there's, oh, you're just going thirty-five seventeen. Uh, 41-21. Uh, I mean, the point is, why are you making these big accusations that it's going to blow them out? Because I don't see that. Well, you know, Lou, you don't know because I, you know, I think I think a lot of people have said it because of how strong Philadelphia's defense is, and also another another thing too is the fact that uh, Mahomes, yeah, he's still going to be dealing with that high ankle sprain. So, you know, there's a there's a couple of there's there's a couple of a couple of uh, things that are up in the air. So, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, people believe it's going to be a close game. And uh, another thing too is the fact that the referee for the game, Carl Sheffers, is anti. He seems to have been anti Kansas City in each of the last five years, even though Kansas City has won. In the games that he has uh, that he has refereed, he has called a majority of the calls against Kansas City. Right, of course. So, all right, let's start. Let's start with Kyle. Uh, Kyle, you know you're you're a diehard Phillies or I'm a diehard Eagles fan. Uh, what what are your thoughts heading into uh, tomorrow's big game? I mean. Uh, could there be potential Super Bowl jitters 
for uh, for Jalen Hurts? Uh, I don't I don't think so. Because um, you have guys like you know Lane who's on his you know line. You have Fletcher Cox up there, CG Brandon Graham. Um, you know it's not many guys who've been to the last Super Bowl that they won, but I I think they're gonna say, hey Jalen, like you're. You don't have to prove anything to us. Just go out and play your game, and we got your back. And you know, and I, I think. So here's my my thing: is Philly will either win by ten plus, or Kansas City will win by three to six. I don't see how Kansas City will blow out Philadelphia. I, I can see Philadelphia blowing Kansas City out. Not vice versa. That's why I think if Philadelphia wins, it will be 10 plus. And if Kansas City wins, it will be between 3 and 6. But I, I don't know. So when people say, like, oh, is Jalen going to be near? Let's not forget Jalen went to Alabama. Jalen played against guys on Kansas City before. Jalen's been to Alabama. He played at Oklahoma. He's used to the big light. The only difference is, yeah, it's the Super Bowl. But you can make an argument for down south living in Texas that college football and high school football is way bigger than the NFL down here. This is coming from someone who literally lives a mile away from at and Stadium, and all they talk about is the Cowboys. So, with that being said, I think Jalen's ready. I think Jalen's up for the task, and I'm ready. I'm excited for my boys. Oh, uh, you know, you, you do bring up an interesting point, is the fact that Jalen Hurts did play in the SEC for both Alabama and for for Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma's not in the SEC yet. They will be in the SEC. Uh, yeah, but the, fa- the fact is, is that he's been there before. He's been on the big stage before. He's been right. to the national title game before. So, I mean, obviously, though, you know, the Super Bowl is a whole entire different, a whole entire different sure. being. Uh, obviously, you know, there are veterans on Philadelphia that have won a Super Bowl before and they know what, you know, they know what's coming and how to prepare everybody. Uh, You know, everybody that's a first timer on that team going to the Super Bowl, they know how to prepare them for what's coming. And this is, uh, this is one of the keys that I had brought up on, uh, on Lou's show earlier today which was to lean uh, uh, for both teams. The key, one of the keys to the game is lean on your veterans. Don't right. allow, don't allow right. first-time players to make rookie mistakes. So that's a problem. I, I, yeah. So and another thing I, I totally forgot it slipped my mind: Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, and Jalen and Jalen Hurts. So whatever those five guys, guess what? We're on that Super Bowl title. So, your captains are going to, like, exactly what you said. Hey, like, we've been here before. You know, lean on us. Like, if you guys have anything, lean on us. Like, we've been here. So, I think that's huge. Like, four out of these five guys have already been there. You know, they, they know what this week is. They know what tonight is going to be like. They know what tomorrow morning's like. You know, so I think Lane and Fletcher Cox and PG, I think they're going to be like, hey, like, we're good. Like, just lean on us. Like, you know, we've gotten here because this is our team, you know. So I think – I don't think Jalen is going to come out nervous or flustered or shocked or anything like that. I I actually think Jalen is going to be great. He's had two weeks to rest his shoulders to kind of relax and, hey, like, you know, 
this is what we expect from you. And I, I'm expecting really good things. I mean, maybe that's a little biased coming from, obviously, I'm a diehard hard Eagles fan. But I'm, I'm excited, you know. And when, when we're losing, like, I'm still going to rock Philadelphia in the middle of downtown Dallas tomorrow. You know, like. <laughs> well, how about this? Coming from, coming from an opposing, uh, considering the fact that you are an Eagles fan, uh, Clyde yeah. Edwards Hilaire is coming back for Kansas City. What uh, what impact do you think he brings to that Kansas City lineup, who where it seems like they've been really struggling to put together a cohesive run game? It's, it's huge. I mean, it's huge. Like it's going to force you know Kaiser White to think about another person other than a wide receiver. It's going to you know maybe half a second, millisecond for, you know, um, Hassan Reddick to be like, okay, I can't go as crazy at Patrick Mahomes as I wanted to. Like, it just adds another character to the already crazy offensive lineup that the Kansas City has, you know, like. <laughs> right. Uh, Lou, what, Lou, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on uh, on Edward Tolaire being brought being brought back into uh, into the lineup for the first time in what seems like forever? I mean, uh, he finished yes, the regular yeah. season. He finished the. He's been out since November, uh, since the end of November, and he finished the regular season with uh, three touchdowns on seventy one rushing attempts. I mean, do you think do you think Edward Tolaire is going to be a difference maker? For Kansas City in the Super Bowl? Well, he's been out for quite a while, so you got to think about the rust factor that always settles in. You know, you got to see how that's going to hold up from his performance back in the in the year. It could, you know, it could spark the team up, but then again, his long absence, it actually hurt him as well. So it, it kind of goes both ways. But I'm hoping for, you know, that uh, Kansas City will find a way if, um, if Mahomes can stay in his game. And uh, Travis uh, to outdo his brother. You know what I'm saying, guys? What are your thoughts, Diane? Uh, with with Kansas City, with Kansas City and Philadelphia seemingly matching up well uh, uh, offensively, uh, do you think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is gonna is gonna provide much of a uh, much of a difference for Kansas City offensively? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, injuries take time to heal. You know, I mean, he could be healthy enough and, you know, like the injury never bothered him. But on their hands, like, oh, that's all right. I think it was a little bit too long. Yeah, I'm suffering. Oh. I've seen it happen before. Yeah, I, and we, obviously, you know, the Super Bowl, I mean, it, it, it kind of helps that Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, you know, has been in the Super Bowl previously, and so, or wait a minute, no, wait a minute, no, he hasn't been in the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl before uh, he came in. The year, yeah, the year before he came in, they won the Super Bowl. Or no, no, he has been in the Super Bowl. He he was in the Super Bowl where they lost against uh, Tampa. Oh yeah. Hey, yeah, before or after Tom Brady came to the Bucks? It was that, it was it was Brady's first year. Hey, okay. Steve, another good um person that got activated today, I, I think I saw was um Anthony Harris. 
as the safety has been a long time on a practice squad for Philadelphia, who was on the team last year. But I, I think that's a great um, active roster, you know, signing because it, it's going to give us more rotations for our safeties in and out. You know, C.J. Johnson has been monstrous, you know, has been playing really well. And so I think Ethan Harris coming on an active roster for tomorrow is going to be great. Because you can, you can bring him in, you know, if Epstein uh, doesn't break or C.J. needs a break. It's somebody who can match up not well against Travis, but ideally you would like a safety on Travis Kelsey because he's physical, he can beat you in many different ways. That's what kind of a safety is, you know. You need him to be physical, you need him to come up in a run and, and, you know, get into a gap or match up against a tight end. So I think that's going to be a big, big time that we activated him to the roster for tomorrow. Right, and also uh, I believe you activated uh, the your punter as well. I believe uh, from uh, from the injured or what was it? Was it was it Philly or was it or was it Kansas City that activated? Uh, Philly did. I think it was Philly. Yeah. 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 So, uh, that's a yeah, it says, it says according to uh, NBC Sports Philly to expect uh, Sipos, uh Aaron Sipos to uh, officially be the punter for Philly tomorrow. Uh, and Anthony Harris has been elevated, obviously, the last couple of games, but he has not yet played. So, uh, however, the Ward elevation is an interesting one because right now Britton Covey uh, their normal punt returner is listed as questionable with his hamstring issue that popped up this week. So it sounds like maybe perhaps uh, Greg Ward Jr. may fill in for uh, for Britton Covey. But other than that, uh, there's not really anything else on the injury report for uh, for either team. So, you know, it should be uh, it should be pretty interesting to see exactly how these two teams match up and also not to mention uh you know this kind of this kind of uh brings up a question here uh that was talked about earlier today would it be better to have the ball first or would it be better to get the ball first in the second half for a super bowl because go ahead sorry Steve. Yeah, no, I, I think for Philadelphia, I think we want to play defense first. I, I think we, we want to show people, like, hey, like, this is what we are in defense. Like, we, this is our staple. It has been all year. Our defensive line is arguably the best defensive line in, in all of football history. Like, you can make an argument that they're the best D-line in football history. Um, so I, I really think they want to come out and say, hey, like, cool, like, you guys can score a 1,000 points, but good luck against this defensive line with Fletcher Cox, BG, Hassan Reddick, Dominic and Sue, Linval Joseph, Hargrave, you know. People forget Jordan Davis hasn't really played that much. Jordan Davis was a freak the whole entire year until he got injured. And let's not forget about Nicole Dean at linebacker who doesn't even start. He's going to start next year, you know, if we don't sign Hugh White or TJ Edwards to an extension. So I, I, want, I, want, I want to play defense first. Yeah, you know, uh, Lou, we actually talked about this earlier today. Uh, yeah. You know, do you think it would be better, uh, Lou, if 
uh, what do you think would be better if you play uh, if you go on the offense first or if you go on the defense first to start off mm-hmm. a Super Bowl? I would think you have to go on the um, on defense first. Because I mean, if yeah. you go on defense, if you go on defense uh, first, you're you basically have the chance to essentially, especially if you're down heading into the half, you get the chance to start off the second half by ga- by trying to gain some momentum. Or if you have momentum heading into the second half, you can capitalize on that momentum to start the second half. Right. Can't you also lose that momentum, though? Yeah, yes. you could, you could, but at the same time, at the same time, though, possessions are—I mean, obviously, possessions are important in football to begin with, but they're really important in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, if somehow, you know, early on, you can kind of get a feel of how of how the team you're playing is going to play for pretty much the entire game. I mean, if Philly if Philly ends up getting uh, getting the coin toss and they end up choosing to defer to the second half, and they're able to stop Kansas City on the first uh, on the first drive, I mean that could that could very well play a huge role moving forward in the entire Super Bowl, and. I mean, we you know we've seen it happen multiple times uh, in games where usually you know the team that the team that starts the second half with the ball usually it uh, there's been times where it hasn't really been that consequential for them to start on defense in the first half because you know regardless you kind of have to you kind of have to figure that there's a chance that okay both teams are probably going to score to start off with anyways. So, you know, it's it's more about who is going to be in control, essentially, of uh, when it when it comes to uh, the flow of the game, essentially. Right. Now, Patrick Mahomes, uh, he has stated earlier this week that he that he uh, you know the ankle is feeling better. Uh, but I mean, there's you, you just have to you just have to look at it like this. Even he may say he may say that it's that it's that he's feeling better, but he's still injured. He's still right. going to be limited to some to some extent. Uh, that's why one of my other keys to the game you got to if you're Kansas City. You gotta have your your offensive line has to be able to protect Pat Mahomes. Right. I mean, he may be able to break out against other teams, but I'm 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 not that confident that he'll be able to be as effective running against the Philadelphia defensive line if the if the defensive line isn't able to get a hold of him in the first place. If they yeah. aren't able to break through the offensive. Uh, the offensive line, and from what from what it sounds like, it sounds like Philly's defensive line is pretty much a hundred percent healthy. So, and yeah, we right. saw what Hassan Reddick did last week, or I mean, uh, in the Woo! NFC title game. 
Yeah. I mean, just take a look at these numbers. For the Philadelphia defense, 78 sacks in 19 games. Most of the sacks are without the benefit of the blitz. That's an average of that's an average of more than four sacks per game. If they get yeah. five or more if they get five or more sacks tomorrow, they will break the Super Bowl era full season mark that was set by the 1984 Chicago Bears. Right. Yeah. I I mean you t- you know you take a look at some of these at some of these uh stats here. Hassan Reddick 19 and a half sacks including the playoffs. Josh Sweat had 12 and a half this year. Javon Hargrave and Brandon Graham each had 12 sacks each. Uh Fletcher Cox had 8. Robert Quinn uh had 18 and a half just a year ago. And Pat Mahomes has been sacked only 29 times in 19 games this season. However, uh-huh. he did have a tough time against pressure during the regular season, completing only 41.1% of his passes and throwing seven picks, according to NFL's next-gen stats. However, right. though, in the, in the postseason, uh, Against pressure, he has completed uh, his passes 60.9% of the time while throwing zero picks. However, though, the biggest mismatch on paper appears to be Hassan Reddick matching up against Chiefs right tackle Andrew Wiley. Yes. And it's been, it's been shown in the past that Wiley can struggle with speed and he was flagged five times for holding this year, including once in the AFC title game. Right. Uh, however, though, the Chiefs defense, though, does deserve credit uh, because, I mean, you take, you take a look at, uh, at the Chiefs defense. They, they rated slightly above average in the regular season versus the run. Uh, which was led by Chris Jones and Nick Bolton, uh, ranking eighth in rush yards allowed per game. So, I mean, if you're if you're Philly, you gotta hope that Nick Sirianni remembers that this is a running team, that this is a team that's capable of handling the run. Because I know, I know. Uh, for for instance, uh, Tim Gross uh, in Sports Whispers. Uh, and also he's one of our Whispers moderators. He has been incredibly frustrated multiple times this year when Nick Sirianni seemingly completely abandoned the run game in certain games, and it led to Philadelphia struggling mightily uh, on some occasions when they should be handling uh, that specific team with ease. So... All right, let's direct this to you, Kyle. Uh, if Philadelphia can't establish the run against Kansas City's defense, is Philly in trouble? So, so that's the thing. Is you, you hit the nail on the coffin for sure. There's been plenty of games where I'm just like, Nick, like, I don't care if we're averaging 2.2 yards. I don't care if we're averaging five. I think the Dallas game, Miles Sanders is averaging 5.6 yards per carry. And we totally went away from it. And then that's when we needed him the most when Gardner was in. And so I'm like, Nick, like, 
Yeah, it's cool that we have all these pretty toys and AJ Brown, Dolly Scotters, you know, Devontae Smith, you know, but so what does running what does running the ball do does does to your team? There's two things it does. It helps your defense stay off the field. It also helps your offense get into rhythm. So, with that being said, Nick Sirianni needs to just remember, hey, like, we have a guy with over 1,200 yards this season, Miles Sanders. We have a really good running back in Boston Scott. And we have, um, can't even think of his name right now, uh, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, and thinking of someone off the top of my head, and I forget his name. Um, but you just need to remember, like, hey, like, we're we're okay. Like, we're going to be okay. You know, just get the ground game running, and we'll be okay. That opens up our RPO. That opens up our play action. That opens up the Vlade Smith one-on-one. So, no, no, we definitely need to control the, you know, the trenches. If we do that, I think we'll be just fine. All right, let's let's bring this question over to Alex, who is just joining us. Uh, welcome to the show, Alex. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, we've just been talking about the Super Bowl, and one of the topics that's been brought up is the the run game of the Philadelphia Eagles and how it's been shown at times that they can str- that, that they have struggled mightily. Uh, at some, at points this season when they haven't been able to put together the run. And Kansas City, they ranked eighth in run defense this year. Could Philadelphia potentially be in trouble against Kansas City if they're not able to establish the run early on? You know what? I think they're going to kind of flip the script around and open up a lot yeah. with passing because – the Chiefs are susceptible in the secondary. They're banged up. I guess apparently they're starting two rookies. And the Eagles, with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and, and Goddard, they have plenty of weapons. So they might kind of shy away from that brick wall. If, it's, if the run defense is really stout, I think they might open up with more passing and then and then kind of so almost like reverse course and then go to go to the run game. I think that's the best way to attack the KC defense. They're, um, they're stronger against the run, so I would – I would look to uh, kind of feature passing early on if I'm Sirianni and Jalen Hurts more early on, and then go to the run. And also another thing we brought up too was uh, how important do you feel uh, that the coin toss is going to be? Because we've seen it happen on certain on on occasion that getting the ball first in the second half could prove to be a huge factor. Yeah, I think so. I think I think I think either I think both coaches would elect to uh to kick first with those early game jitters and then especially in the Super Bowl and these guys are similar. I mean Sirianni, well he got fired by Reed, but they're kinda of from the same coaching tree, right? Um Right. I think they I mean Reed Reed loves to uh you know, go to work, you know, dissect the the the, the game plan at halftime and then come out with the ball. So I think either I think either team, whoever wins it is gonna defer and get the ball second half. And also, also another thing that we talked about as well is the thought of Super Bowl experience. Do you think yes. Super Bowl experience matters in a, in a in a situation like this? I do, but I mean, I love Andy Reid. Being a big Eagles fan, he's, a, he's my favorite coach. But he, 
he's been there a lot more. Obviously, it's Ariana's first dance, big dance, but uh, Andy Reid's also lost in big time, big moments in, in the Super Bowl. So I would, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think it's, it's going to come down to the players. And I know, I know Andy Reid's first foray uh, into the Super Bowl. I remember when he was, you know, couldn't get the play calls in on time with with Donovan McNabb. So I mean, he hasn't exactly had the stellar track record in the Super Bowl. So I think it's it's especially more so than ever. I think it's going to come down to plays, turnovers. It's going to be more uh, player based. I don't think coach is going to make a massive difference between the two coaches, and they both know each other really well. They're both, you know, coming from the Eagles. So I think it's kind of a definite edge to read, but I don't think he's going to you know pull anything out of a hat and, and totally out coach Sirianni. I don't think it's going to come down to that personally. No. No, I would be, you know, I would be, I would be surprised if there's really a drastic out coaching uh, in this matchup. However, though, this kind of ties into my next question. We've seen both coaches be very ballsy this year, in yeah, particular definitely. on, in particular yeah. going for it, going for it on fourth down. Do you think? Do you think we see that same aggressiveness out of both Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni in this matchup? Absolutely. I'll give you Absolutely. one stat, Steve. Uh, 92%. 92%. That's all I got to say. 92%. That's all I'm going to say about that. And that Jalen Hurts run up the middle where they basically sack everyone. And they're the, the biggest, baddest offensive line. I mean, they're – there's, right. Both coaches will be going for it. If it's like fourth and three, you're going to see a lot of fourth down attempts and a lot of fourth down conversions. Both teams are fearless. And yeah. Both coaches, both coaches are ballsy. It's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun matchup for sure. Right. What do you What do you think, Lou? Uh, do you think we're going to see the same aggressiveness out of Sirianni and? Uh, out of out of Sirianni and Reed that we saw in the regular season, or do you think because it's the Super Bowl, maybe perhaps they may try to go the safer route? The safer route of the Super Bowl? No, no, you can't do that. We'll go all out. This so we'll do that. This is what we all about. We'll get to this level. You know what I'm Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if. Uh, I, I really don't know, honestly, if if we'll see uh, that much, you know, that much aggressiveness uh, out of because we've seen it happen before, where teams have been too aggressive and it's ultimately cost them more often than not. It's yeah. cost them in the uh, in the long run in a in a Super Bowl matchup. Uh, I mean, just for instance, uh, just to go just to go back to. Uh, the Eagles' last Super Bowl, when when uh, after after Philadelphia did the Philly special, Brady tried to do the exact same thing and it completely backfired on him. So, <laughs> so yeah, Brady you know, was uh, Brady, Brady thought he was Tyree Kill. He he's the poor man's version of the uh, of Nick Foles' best player of his career. I remember that. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, a little update on the Jacob Chitrin situation that I mentioned earlier. Uh, looks like the Leafs, the Maple Leafs, and the Edmonton Oilers are both out on Chitrin. 
Oh wow. Those are two teams that are cur- that are currently officially out. And obviously, as I said earlier, the Jacob Chitron news may drop any minute now for all we know. Uh but I'll still obviously I'll still be monitoring that on Twitter as uh any potential news comes up involving him. Uh but going over to the NFL honors now though. Uh NFL uh, oh and by the way, uh NFL dot com had uh the Chiefs winning twenty eight to twenty six according to their official according to their official stat tracker or however whatever they call it, uh game theory. Whatever the hell that thing is. I guess it I guess it monitors uh you know, it, it monitors a whole bunch of uh a whole bunch of stuff. Uh let's go over the NFL honors though, because yeah. Uh, we did have award winner award winners announced, and this may actually play a role here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes won his second That's MVP, uh, completing. Uh, he, uh, obviously, uh, hang on, hang on a minute. Uh, Kyle, can you tu- can you turn down the uh, the noise a little bit in the background? Uh, probably not. I'm at work, but I. Appreciate you guys on letting me on, and I'm sorry I had to come back in from break. So I just want to give you guys a call and, uh, you know, give my prediction and kind of talk about the big game. But, uh, yeah, so have a good night, guys, and like I said, I appreciate you guys letting me call in and sorry about the noise. Oh, okay. It's uh, it's uh, I didn't know if you were driving or or whatnot. Um, but no, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I mean. Sorry. I mean, I mean you know, feel free, feel free to stay on if you want. So, um, all right. Uh, so pa- Patrick Mahomes, obviously, uh, 5,200 or yeah, 5,250 yards and 41 touchdowns, 12 picks, however, and he did complete 67% of his passes in, uh, this season. And he was considered to be the runaway favorite for MVP. Uh, However, we have seen in the past that Kansas City or that that the uh the MVP has you know they they've basically uh had a little bit of a curse you could say where whoever is in the whoever is is in the Super Bowl if they if they're the if they're the reigning MVP you know, they more often than not lose that Super Bowl. I mean, we saw it with Matt Ryan. We saw it with Tom Brady when Brady uh, was the MVP, I believe, during uh, the year that uh, the Eagles last won. So, you know, could that be another uh, another obstacle for Kansas City? With the fact that they have the MVP curse, essentially. Mm. Uh, by the way, I believe he should have. Won, I think he should have won Offensive Player of the Year as well, but for some reason that just never 
Uh, that that ended up going to Justin Jefferson for some reason. Yeah, he ended up. Uh, Justin Jefferson ended up finishing with 128 catches, 1,809 yards, and eight touchdowns. Uh, Jefferson was the only non-quarterback finalist for MVP this year. And honestly, I mean, I look at those numbers, and I I look at Patrick Mahomes' numbers, and I still think Patrick Mahomes should have should have gotten Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, you got to give it to him. Over five thousand yards, and I can't feel like so much of a homer. He's, he's better than Jalen Hurts. Yeah. I, I think he definitely deserved the MVP. Yeah. Now, defensive, you know, defensive player of the year, though, uh, Nick Bosa, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people were kind of skeptical as to whether or not Nick Bosa should have won or whether it should have been Micah Parsons. Uh, You know, Bosa, 15 and a half sacks, and he's already, he already won rookie of the year in 2019. Now he's defensive player of the year. I, I mean, honestly, you know, I, I just look at Nick Bosa's stats from this year, and I just don't see anybody else that that even came close to him, except maybe uh, I, I know that I know there were there were a couple of Eagles players, but they weren't nominated for some reason uh, for Defensive Player of the Year, even though you know there were a couple of Eagles players that uh, that were deserving. But yeah, I mean, Son Reddick had 17 and a half sacks, but I think Bosa, I mean, big man, the overall impact. Yeah, I think Bosa is the safest pick. Michael Parsons is a hell of a player too, but again, I think Bosa, like you said, I think he gets the edge. He takes, he takes the cake. Right. Uh, offensive rookie of the year and actually defensive rookie of the year. Uh, both rookie of the years went to the Jets. Uh, surprisingly, uh, we had Garrett Wilson take home Offensive Rookie of the Year uh, after catching 83 passes for 1,103 yards. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he he was uh, in contention with Brock Purdy as well as uh, I forget his name that the running back from uh, from the Seahawks. Uh, honestly, you know, I thought the Seahawks guy had it. I didn't think that Garrett Wilson would yeah. take home the win, but, uh, you know, I do know, I do know that if, uh, who was that, who was the jet that went down early with an injury? Was it Brees Hall? Brees yeah. Hall. Yeah. He's a, he was, he was, dude, he was, uh, I think he would have gotten it, Steve. I mean, he was on pace for like. He was scoring a touchdown a game. He was on pace for like fourteen hundred yards, dude. I'm talking with, with dude. They have two incredible uh, offensive rookies. But yeah, it was Brees Hall. Yeah, I thought I thought Brees Hall, if anything, would have probably been. I would have I would have put uh, better odds at Brees Hall getting it if he had played an entire season and then continued draft. on the route that he was going. Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, dude. I mean. Hell, three home runs in a row in that draft. And look at, I mean, yeah. imagine Garrett Wilson. He had, I know I said it earlier, I'm not going to keep beating the dead drum, but, uh, you know, Garrett Wilson did this with, you know, a little bit of Flacco, a little bit of Zach Wilson. I mean, his stats would have gone through the roof if he had a solid quarterback. 
Right, yeah. I mean, that's another thing, too, is the Jets have been handicapped uh, this entire time with Zach Wilson at quarterback, and they didn't really have anybody else. I mean, yeah, they had Mike White, but Mike White isn't really much of a, uh, you know, he isn't really much of a a, uh, consistent backup option. And yeah. And plus, and I, I mean, I Joe Flacco, you know. I don't mean to keep like Joe, going, oh, the Jets could have been so good, but they, they have to learn how to win. Yeah. So a lot of it's mental, right? But I mean, right. If they, gotta get, if they get a solid QB, I'm not, I'm not trying to cream Jets every time we talk, but uh, I think they do have a bright future if they get, if they get a, the right quarterback in there. It's a big if, but I mean, dude, they oh, have yeah. some tremendous, some tre- tremendous young players. And then they have a, uh, they have a really good defense, so it's like really that's what they need. Just yeah, it is. It is a huge if. It it is a huge if. Um, if they can get a an actual quarterback that doesn't fold under the pressure, or in Zach Wilson's case, isn't more attracted to milfs than actually playing football. <laughs> uh, Milf hunter. Yeah, we we've all heard that. Uh, we've all heard that story uh, go through the uh, the the football. Uh, the football fandom, uh, <laughs> then, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, a bright future for the Jets. Uh, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, obviously they need a quarterback in order to, you know, in order to basically write that team, uh, you know, write the ship, uh, moving forward for them yeah and, uh, and but, like we've all seen and like we've all seen Steve I mean it's just it's mental too they're just like so used to having things melt down and fall apart so a lot of it's mental too so it's a big if I'm not yeah. saying oh just get a quarterback but I mean hey the pieces are there maybe maybe sooner rather than later they can they can finally turn it around yeah and you know what's surprising actually is the fact that Aiden Hutchinson actually had had gotten defensive player of the year or defensive rookie of the year by I think it was the Associated Press. And oh, yet interesting. somehow and yet somehow he didn't get it for uh for the NFL. Wow. They're I mean they're both yeah. awesome. But they both both deserving, you know, it's a, it's a tough call. They're both, you know, elite rookies. So I mean that was a little bit of a surprise. So I you know I would I would say that uh, if anything, between the two, Garrett Wilson is probably a bigger surprise than Sauce Gardner. I'll say. Yeah. Because yeah, I think a lot of people I think a lot of people expected that Sauce Gardner would be a more serious contender, offensive rookie of the year, as opposed to Garrett Wilson for uh, offensive rookie of the year. I think yeah. you know I just I just think people had. Uh, Purdy and the uh, Seahawks running back ahead of uh, ahead of Wilson. Yeah, I like that point. Yep. And Purdy, if he now, played the whole com- year, I think he would have ran away with it. Purdy. I know Walker. I know the Seahawks guy got injured and started Purdy. So yeah, helped uh, Wilson. Out. Well, helped helped Garrett Wilson out a lot. Now for the comeback player of the year, I nailed it right from the uh, very beginning yeah, last week. Yeah. Geno Smith taking oh, home yeah, comeback yeah. player of the year. I mean, seriously, yeah, you had Saquon Barkley have a comeback year. Yeah, you had 
uh, Christian McCaffrey have a comeback year. But those two are established stars. You have somebody like Geno Smith, who hasn't been effective since 2014. Mm-hmm. He comes in to he comes into a rebuilding Seahawks team, and leads them to the playoffs. I mean, granted they got blown out in the in the wild card round, but still, yeah, he takes them to the playoffs. That right there, I mean, but he threw for he had a franchise quarterback type year, throwing for yeah. four thousand two hundred and eighty two yards. And different different running backs, you know, week to week. Walker, the stud rookie, got hurt, as you mentioned. And also, not the best offensive line. You know, just further testament to how incredible a year he had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had just – I mean, let's not get – let's not get this uh, – let's not right. get this mixed up. Uh, you know, Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey had incredible years as well. However yeah, – yeah. I mean, those two are established stars, like I said. If sure, you're you're right. Geno Smith did nothing but with the Jets. All of a sudden, he has a career year. Just makes me sick. You're, and Steve, what you just said I, makes a lot of sense, man. I kind of kind of rescind. I take back. I know I was saying Barkley last week, but what you said makes a lot of sense. He, no, like everyone wrote him off, so he is definitely the best comeback story. He's the best comeback player. You're right. For uh, this year, at least. Yeah, you're right. Barkley was already made, you know, Barkley was already a total, total elite stud, household name. Everyone, probably even including most of the Seahawks, didn't expect anything ever from Gino. And Gino, so Gino shocked the world. So, I mean, he's, well, yeah. he's, I mean, he's a, big, he's a bigger comeback it. story than Barkley and McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody thought that Drew Locke was going to be the quarterback coming over from, uh, from Denver. You know, nobody yeah. was expecting that Geno Smith would be the one that would uh, that would be uh, that would be start the starting quarterback for the year. Yeah, and now they're they're talking about an extension. He really he's the guy who really uh, just like listening to an interview. He has a whole new work ethic. I think he grew up a hell of a lot and really took it a lot more serious. You know what I mean? He just he grew up overnight. He, he finally really learned how important yeah. it was to take everything seriously. I think he was just kind of like coasting by and not really – kind of like a days ago when he was a Jet. Yeah, he, I mean, he, hey, he, he deserves it. Yeah. He deserves it, though, you know. I mean, uh, with the with the work that he put in this year for, for Seattle, he definitely deserves uh, what was, you know, the the uh, the, uh, the uh, comeback player of the year. I mean, who knows? If they had, if they had a bit of a healthier team – you know, maybe they could have, uh, maybe they could have potentially have made a run, but you know, to to be a starting quarterback for the first time since 2014, and get your team into the playoffs when nobody expected you to. I mean, that right there, I don't. If that doesn't give the potential for comeback player of the year, I don't know what does. No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, coach of the year, coach, coach of the coach of the year. This is a big, uh, a big controversy. Ryan yeah. Dable winning over Doug Peterson. Yeah, it's so tough, man. I mean, Peterson they turned it on. They they turned it on big time down the stretch. There, dude. Honestly, though, I think the Jaguars. Not to talk 
fiat about the Giants, but I, I, uh, I think the, Gi- the Jaguars have a lot of talent, actually. But Peterson, I win, they won, what, six in a row, seven in a row down the stretch, including the playoffs? I think so, season. yeah. Yeah, that's a really tough call. And then Dable got, you know, got his back door kicked in by the Eagles. But a lot of people have. I, I don't know. I think Dable did more with less, even though the Jaguars, you know, they, they came right out of the basement. That's a really tough call, man. It really, not to sound corny, but it really could have gone either way. I don't, I don't yeah. even know. I, I love Dougie Peterson. Really helped give the Giants a new, you know, really tough, proud uh, identity. I think they're both deserving. I don't know. What do you guys think? Who should have won it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's let's start with you. Let's start with you, Lou. Who do you think should have taken it uh, between Dable and uh, and Peterson? No, I think Dable. I'm not surprised at this at all. I mean, he turned the, the Giants' fortunes around. I mean, they took him from, you know, a pitiful team the last six years to a playoff spot. Uh, of course, they didn't win the division, but they, they, they made a solid effort with Dable. I mean, he, you know, he really helped William got mad together. So I was not surprised at this at all. I'm not just saying it because they're from the New York area. I really think that, you know, Dable had deserved it. Kyle, if you're still if you're still there, what are you, what are your thoughts uh, with the uh, with the debate between Dable and Peterson? Yeah, so sorry, like I said, it's a little bit you know loud, but I'll try to make it quick. Um, I honestly, you can make an argument for both guys. You know, obviously, Doug P, forever a Philadelphia legend. You know, never has to buy a drink, beer. You know, kind of like Nick Foles status. But you know what? I, I don't know. It's tough. If if I want to give like a nod, I would probably would have to say probably Dougie P. Man, you you had a guy in Urban Meyer who literally made the Jags into the dumpster fire they were for that year, and you know, so I think that that's a lot of credit and you know nothing away from Brian Dable because you know he's a very good coach. He's gonna be an awesome coach and it's great that he's in NFC East. Um, but I, I think I think I'm kind of leaning towards WT on this one. Um, you know, I think Trevor kind of lost like a, a lot of his his edge and what what made him special when Urban was there. So I think WT, I think for me, gets a slight nod. Like I said, nothing against Brian Dable. He's a very very good coach, and I'm excited for NFC East, aka the NFC East, to be back. So, but I have to think about WT. Yeah, you know, I've 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 seen this debate go back and forth. I know I know my friend Tim was uh was very yeah. pissed off that Peterson ended up losing it and uh it ended up going to Dable instead. Uh yeah. you know, I I honestly looking at it from my vantage point, Dable, this is a first year coach coming in. And it's kind of similar to Kevin Stefanski and what he did with the Browns. Right. When Stefanski came in his first year, and he ended up winning coach of the year that year, I believe. Either that year or the year after, he ended up winning coach of the year. And, you know, he completely turned around a team that was becoming basically the joke of the NFL. Yeah. And... It's kind of similar here with, I mean, granted, it's the same thing in Jacksonville, too. You know, Jacksonville was, uh, you know, ha- hasn't really been a threat for years. 
uh, since mm-hmm. the Blake Bortles uh, era down there. But yeah. I think the thing, I think the difference maker here is the fact that Peterson, you know, he won a Super Bowl, so everybody kind of expected this from him. Like, that when right. he would come in, when he would come in and, you know, the team would uh, would automatically be better for it. Yeah. Dable, And though, he had the number Dable. one overall. He had Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick. He had good receivers. I mean, Dable yeah. resurrected. Dable, like, helped recreate uh, Daniel Jones. So he had a harder mission. He had a harder task. At hand, right? With less talent, I mean, less receiving talent in New York, right? You know, that's what I, that's what I was going to say is that yeah. you know he had a very turnover prone quarterback in Daniel Jones, who everybody was starting to give up on. Uh, you know, ev- everybody was start was starting to say that you know Jones uh, th- that the Giants would move on from Jones this off season. This was before he had the year that he had. Uh, you know, there's there's just a whole a whole bunch of different variables to take into this. Uh, also, I think the fact that Dable is going from being an off or from being a offensive line coach, or no, was he offensive line or was he offensive coordinator for Buffalo? I think it was coordinator. Not okay, sure. maybe he was coordinator, but I, you know, regardless, he he goes from being an assistant coach. Yeah to being a head coach in his first year. And for him to have done what he did with, uh, you know, with, with the Giants, it's, it's, it's kind of like, okay, well, let's say the Patriots had made the yeah. playoffs, had done, yeah. had done the same thing that, let's say Belichick did the same thing that Dable did this year uh, and got the Patriots into the playoffs, despite the roster they have. Well, why the hell would Bel? Why the hell is Belichick not uh, a, you know, not a uh, candidate? Well, because Belichick, you know, Belichick is, uh, is a household name. So he's a well-established name. I mean, it's kind it's kind of like a, Last year, you know, last year when they made the playoffs under under uh, first year quarterback Mac Jones, and Belichick wasn't even a finalist for coach of the year. And I I truly believe that part of it is because of the fact that he's already a household name. You know that everybody expects that you know this is going to be that whole. You know that 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 it's expected of him, basically. Yeah, kind of like uh, Peterson right. was already established, like Saquon, almost like the Geno vote. Dable's kind of the new guy on the scene who's more deserving because he really came out of nowhere. First year head coach to win it like that, you know, that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. And he did more with less. I'm sorry, Peterson has the number one. He is Lawrence the young quarterback. Peterson had more to work with. I think Dable Dable should get the nod like he did. Right. By the way, a little update here. According to Frank Saravalli of uh, formerly of NFL or NHL Network and also Sportsnet uh, previously, uh, he has reported a lot of smoke connecting the LA Kings with Jacob Chitrin, but no confirmed first yet. 
So it looks like maybe perhaps L.A. is not out of the running yet for uh, for Jacob Chitrin. So that's uh, that's another team to keep an eye on here. Maybe perhaps L.A. has given in to what Arizona wants for Chitrin because they were holding out supposedly. At, uh, uh, Arizona had apparently wanted a whole bunch of their prospects that L.A. wasn't willing to give up. Uh, let's see. Going back, or continuing on with uh, the assistant coach of the year goes to D'Amico Ryan's of the Niners, and I mean that makes sense. You know, he yeah, helped the NFL's best defense uh, by both yards and points in San Francisco this year. Definitely, and not that is a solid now. Yes, yeah, yeah I definitely ahead. think he, he's very well started. Didn't mean to cut in, but yeah, very well deserving. That that was kind of rare. That's one that was kind of like almost a no-brainer. Not much of a debate there. Well deserving, and it's cool that he gets to go back home to uh, be the probably uh, probably one and done. Uh, I would not be surprised if he gets yeah. fired after the first year, uh, knowing how <laughs> much turnover. That, hopefully they break that cycle. I mean, he's like the hometown. I know it won't won't mean shit if he starts zero and seven, but hopefully right. he lasts more than uh, one calendar year. We'll see. <laughs> but no, you know, no, just knowing the turnover that is going uh, that is going on in the NFL when it comes to head yeah. coaching. Um, yeah. Uh, Dak Prescott, he was named the Walter Payton Man of the Year, uh, honored for his contributions to cancer research and patient welfare. Uh, his Faith Fight Finish Foundation advocates for mental health. So definitely a well-deserving uh, award win for Dak Prescott, uh, who especially, I believe he won Comeback Player of the Year last year too, I think. So uh, back-to-back years for Prescott with the uh, with awards. Now the FedEx Air and Ground Players of the Year uh, that go to the best uh, passing and running uh, running players. Uh, the Air Award winner went to Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Ground Player of the Year went to Josh Jacobs of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Burrow, obviously, he brought the Bengals to the AFC title game for the second year in a row. Jacobs, he rushed for 1,653 yards in his contract year. So needless to say, uh yeah, he's getting a uh he's getting a big fat contract in this off season. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so certain that it will be for uh that it will be for Vegas. Uh the celebration of the year went to Cincinnati Bank went to Cincinnati for their roller coaster celebration. And the moment of the year went to Justin Jefferson's fourth down catch against the Buffalo Bills on fourth and 18 when he made a one-handed grab uh, to keep, to keep Minnesota alive with two minutes left, with under two minutes left in that matchup. And also the pro football hall of fame class was officially announced with Rondé Barber, Don Coryell, Chuck Howley, Joe Klecko, 
Darrell Revis, his oh. first year, his first year, might I add, uh, Ken Riley, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, and Demarcus Ware, all being officially named to the Hall of Fame for the class of 2023. Jeez, real and quick, uh, one name that stuck out real quick, uh, Kleko, wasn't he a long time? He was like fighting again in for years. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Big, Long yes, time yes, yes. That's that's pretty cool. Clacko finally got in. I think so, yeah. Because uh, I mean, hell, he retired in '88, I think. Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's been he's been trying for years to get in. He finally gets in uh, this year after spending eleven uh, around, I think, eleven seasons with the Jets before playing his yeah. final season for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, as far as his career stats, 78 career sacks, nine fumble recoveries. Uh, he played 155 games through 12 seasons. Uh, he was a two-time first-team All-Pro, <laughs> a second-team All-Pro. He was uh, a four-time member of the Pro Bowl back when it mattered. Uh, and he was also the NFL Defensive Player of the Year back in 1981. Wow. And that 70-something sacks just jumped out to me from an interior line position. That's obviously, you know, the edge rushers, the DNs, the LTs, the Reggie Whites get a lot more sacks. 78 sacks playing inside on the line is incredible. That's got to yeah. be like top three or four all-time for, uh, like, defensive tackle for interior line. That's an amazing. Thing. Yeah, and by and uh, you know another um, one of the other members as well, uh, you know Darrell Revis. You want to talk about Revis Island? Revis Island uh, officially making its home in the Hall of Fame, uh, officially with his induction and in his first year of eligibility this year. So. Wow. I mean, obviously, I think everybody pretty much considered it was going to be a no-brainer that he would probably get in. Uh, I think the question is, which – you have to assume he's probably going to go in as a Jet. Definitely. I, I, I definitely think so. Um, he really, that, I mean, he really flamed out. Like a lot of guys, he tried to keep going and going. I think he, he got cut a few times. He played for, the, for, the, for Andy Reid for a little bit, didn't do anything. But, yeah, I mean – 98% of his career, the, the, all the best moments really were at the Jets. Yeah, he had two different stints with the Jets. Uh, he did win a Super Bowl back with the Patriots uh, against oh, okay. the Seattle Seahawks. That's right, that's right. Um, so he did have some other moments. He had some other moments. But, uh, I mean, he was still effective even, even, as, uh, even as recent as 2014. He was still effective for the Patriots. He was one of their best corners. That That's year. right. That's uh, I forgot about that. Good call. He was still good. He was a he, he was a four-time member of the first team All Pro uh, between tw- between 2009 and 2011, and also 2014. Uh, he got that. He got the uh, first team All Pro. He was a seven-time member of the Pro Bowl. Uh, he was a member of the All Decade team for the uh, for the 2010s. Uh, and also, he was part of the all-rookie team back in 2007. Not to mention, he is also a member of the New York Jets Ring of Honor. So uh, now he goes from the Ring of Honor to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, 
29 career interceptions, 139 career pass deflections, a total number of tackles of 497. Not bad for wow. a uh, for a former 14th overall pick in 2007. Look at this. Like it's, like, it's like a random uh, jet jet talk show for a couple hours tonight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, just goes to show they they always have talent. They just can't can't get, get over the mental hurdle of actually being able to win mm-hmm. big games. Well, it's, co- yeah, it's coincidental. It's coincidental. Clecko, that Reba the, uh, Island, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, now I know I've I know I've brought this up a couple of times so far tonight. Let's talk about the joke that is the Pro Bowl. <laughs> that has now become the Pro Bowl, I should say. Yeah. It's so bad that they even you know, they they have Eli and Peyton Manning as the two coaches this year, uh with a whole with a couple of other uh, retired players as part of the coaching staff. Uh, Ray Lewis was the defensive coordinator for the AFC. Diana Flores was the AFC offensive coordinator. Uh, I guess she's a member of the Mexico women's flag national team or something, I guess. Uh, DeMarcus, DeMarcus Ware was the NFC defensive coordinator and Vanita Crouch was the NFC offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, it's funny I mentioned flag because this is basically what the <laughs> Pro Bowl was this year. Flag football. Uh, yeah, flag football. Star studded coaching staff. I mean, ser- seriously, is this what is this what the what the game has devolved into? Like, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I understand players. You know, players don't want to get hurt. I understand that. You could have just you could have just kept it the way it was, and basically yeah, turn you- it into. I mean, look at how the NBA does their all-star games. Yeah. You know, where it's basically the NBA does their all-star games. There's no there's no semblance of defense whatsoever. It's basically a showcase of of players. And you know, I just I don't understand why all of a sudden they've decided to turn this into a flag football game essentially where they weren't even playing a full game. They weren't even playing on a full field. They were playing on a 50 yard field. Like arena, like the arena football league. Yeah. I mean, th- to me, this wasn't football. You know, they weren't even oh. playing in pads. It's like I, I okay I understand you know this uh, this isn't the uh, you know th- this isn't the regular season so they're not really playing for anything but I mean come on you know this is supposed to be exactly. football's version of the All Star Game and right. they basically made the, this league and by the way uh, Goodell is Goodell has said that this that this isn't going to be going away. So this is going to be the norm <laughs> from here on out. Yippee. They basically yeah, they basically made this they, they basically pussified the sport of football all in one bit here with the Pro Bowl yeah. games. And it's like, oh, we're going to do like a skills competition. We're going to, uh, 
you know, each competition is going to be worth a certain amount of points, and whoever has uh, the most points after the flag football and everything uh, wins the Pro Bowl games. No, that's not what anybody wants to see. I mean, yeah, you can still have those those skills competitions like, uh, you know how how they used to do it, where they would have targets, they would have moving targets that uh, that quarterbacks would have to try and hit, or, or stuff <laughs> like that. How they how they used to do it. Maybe they'll have uh, the maybe they'll have right. like they'll elect two fall uh, women coaches to uh, maybe play like PlayStation Four. You can play PlayStation Four and broadcast it. The actual Pro Bowl team. Mm-hmm. That that might be a little bit more exciting. Yeah, but you know, I just I just completely disagree with what they're doing right now with the, with this whole with this whole Pro yeah. Bowl thing. That I mean, the original. I guess people complained about the fact that uh, the original Pro Bowl game was not, or you know, the original format was not really a fo- a true football game. Well, the yeah. you know the NBA All Star Game is not really a basketball game. It's not really a true basketball game, but people still look forward to it every single year. I do. I mean, there's ways of keeping it interesting without having to completely ruin the formula, and this is what the NFL has done. They've completely ruined the formula. By basically, basically being named to the Pro Bowl is essentially a joke. Like Tyler Huntley, who had two touchdowns in this year, he was named as a fucking alternate <laughs> over Matt yeah, yeah. Jones. He's got the stats. He's got the look. <laughs> I mean, if if you want to go, if if we want to go that far, then okay, Bailey Zappi should have been named as a fucking Pro Bowler. <laughs> because Zappy actually had better stats. Yeah, he had better stats in like three quarters. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Hunley. The, the game, the, the the All Star game has basically the Pro Bowl has basically become a joke. To have Todd Hunley in there, it was a joke to begin with, but it's become an even bigger yeah. joke now. I mean, hell! If you're going to play flag football, why don't why not just have celebrities represent their their favorite team uh, right. playing fucking football? You yeah, know, sort of ben like major league. And, uh, get a Ben Affleck and throw in a bomb to uh, Steven Tyler. Little uh, Massachusetts yeah. connection. Yeah, you know, it's 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 sort of like it's sort of like <laughs> what Major League Baseball does. Major League Baseball, they have they have their All Star game. You know, they have the home run derby, and then they have the celebrity game. Where they have, right. uh, granted, That's it's a smaller field. Time. Granted, it's a smaller field, but they have celebrities play uh, their own their their sort of version of baseball. I mean, <laughs> it's really devolving. Like, like I love that word you use. It's just going down the toilet, and unfortunately, like you said Goodell, it's not going to go away. What are they? Because unfortunately, if they bring it back and then someone blows their knee out. Like, there's yeah. no turning back now. They're just not going to go back to the way it was. I stopped. What a shame. Yeah. And believe it or not, somebody actually injured themselves in a fucking flag football game. 
<laughs> Miles Miles Garrett, I shit you not, Miles Garrett from the Cleveland Browns dislocated his toe. <laughs> yeah. I wish I, you know, I wish I was kidding. But it's actually been reported on NFL on NFL.com. It's been reported. Yep, I saw that. And then he just, what 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 did they have one lineman on each team? It wasn't even I don't even know how much he was playing. He's a defensive end. It's mind-boggling. And he gets injured playing flag. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. It, 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 it just makes the NFL look like an even bigger joke than it already was. Yeah. I mean, I understand not wanting to get injured. You know, there's ways of making that happen right. to, to avoid injuries. I mean, it, this way, it, it just seems like they went they went the route of pussifying the sport, basically. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, what, you know, what's, you have to wonder what's next. I mean, are they going to have it where they're just not going to have a game at all and just have it be a, a flat-out skills competition? I think the, the PS4 or Xbox, just the gaming of the actual all-pro teams might be next. Oh, don't don't laugh. Don't laugh. But that's literally, that's literally what it was during COVID. During COVID, yeah, they, had, they had the players play Madden. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's just... It's astounding, to be perfectly I like my drafting. honest. I like, I like my draftings. I'm winning a little uh, Susan Cavaliers bet right now. Yeah, I remember during COVID, a, a buddy I knew was so degenerate, he would bet on uh, gaming. He would bet on, like, people playing Madden online. That, that's rock bottom. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> and also one of the players who uh, – one of the players who got to play in the pro – in the quote-unquote pro bowl this year was Derek Carr. <laughs> who was playing his final game, or game as we call it, his final game with his uh, former college teammate and teammate this year. uh, Devontae. Yeah, Devontae Adams. Yeah, Target's target's bench embarrassed, banished, and then then he's in the Pro Bowl. Like, he's rewarded. Congratulations, Derek. Good, Good season. Well, he was an alternate, I believe. I believe he was named yeah. as an alternate. He's like a notch, a notch above uh, Humley. Started lineup. Uh, he's more than a notch above oh, Humley. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's quite a few rungs up the ladder. But still, I would I have taken Derek I Carr. Put, uh, I don't wake up and go. Oh, I don't think of Derek Carr as a as a Pro Bowl star. But it's just so watered down. The Huntley, though, the Huntley is the most egregious. I've never – I hope the guy has a good career, but he literally played like 45 minutes. How is the guy in the Pro Bowl? I mean, he played a couple of weeks. He has no stats. Uh, what the hell was that? It was pathetic. It, you know, it, 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 still, it still is pathetic thinking about it that, uh, that he was even named to the Pro Bowl. So, <laughs> uh, but – Good but how you know? How, however, though it's uh, the big th- the, uh, the the big thing about Derek Carr is uh, so not only was that his final Pro Bowl as a member of the Raiders, more than likely, 
apparently he has made a couple of visits to the New Orleans Saints with the blessing of the Raiders organization. So, because uh, I believe he has a no movement clause potentially, I think. So, right. uh, he has to, of course, waive it in order to be traded to any specific team. And it sounds like the New Orleans Saints may be the winners of that sweepstakes. Because uh-huh. uh, he's, he's had, like, I think two or three different visits over the past week with the, with the Saints. I still hope he turns it around. I'm not trying to knock the guy too much. He just didn't have a Pro Bowl caliber season. But I, he's had such an erratic career. I, I can't really read into it too much because he, he was struggling for, a couple, for several years. And then he had what? He had an awesome, like, it looked like he finally found his, his way and was really becoming a leader for the new expansion for Vegas out there. And then he just totally bottoms out this year and gets tempted and get, gets shown the door. I don't know. I don't know how much, I don't know. The guy seems really emotional. Like he's very erratic. I, I don't think, right. well, I don't think he could last in New York. I, maybe the Saints is a good match for him. Well, you know what though? Uh, I would actually take him if I was New York. Yeah, I wouldn't heartbeat. If I'm being being honest, I do. If I'm being honest, I I would take him if I was New York. 24 touchdowns and 14 picks this year. He threw for 3,522 yards. He was in the top 15 quarterbacks in the league for passing yards. No, I agree. I agree. And you totally just uh, put me in my place. I I didn't realize he had quite that effective of a year. I just, maybe they were too rash and they just kind of kicked him to the curb. I mean, it was building up, but I mean, cause they, I mean, obviously his best friend from college, Devontae Adams, and then less than a year later, they they kicked Derek Carr to the curb. Yeah, and Pretty, I can tell you for a fact that Devontae was pissed. Yeah, yeah, that was from that what was from awesome. what from what the sounds from what it sounded like it it sounded like that that Devontae Devontae was pissed as soon as the uh, as soon it was it was made known that. Uh, you know, that Derek Carr would be shut down for the remainder of the year. And it was after they got eliminated from uh, contention. Wow. So, you know, I I do think that, that he is a fit with New Orleans. Uh, I mean, that's potentially dangerous. Him, throw, him throwing to, uh, to Michael Thomas. I mean that's a potential dangerous option. Uh, yeah, for I mean, Michael Thomas is awesome. For the but South. I mean, I don't know if you guys play fantasy. I've taken Mike Thomas in a couple of fantasy seasons in a row, and the guy just gets injured getting out of bed. He cannot stay healthy. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that has been a big problem yeah, for him. He'd have he'd have Kamara, and then um, they have some other good options. Obviously, and then they have uh, the really good Olave from Ohio State. They have him at wideout too. Saints have some yeah. weapons. He he could be a good fit there. I'd take him anywhere. You're you're totally right. You 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 showed me the light with Carr. I didn't even realize the stats were that good this year. I mean, I would yeah. I them. you know if I don't think get Rogers, I don't think Carr I'd, was the problem. I don't think Carr was the problem. That's the thing. He got ran out there prematurely, or just maybe they just they they hit the panic button early. Um, I I, I just don't know if he'd be a definite upgrade. Most most quarterbacks yeah. in the world would be an upgrade over what the Jets had, but yeah, I mean they're going to swing for the fences. I think they're still going to try to get Aaron Rodgers, but Carr would be a good consolation prize. He he he'd definitely be an upgrade. But 
I think the, the Jets are a wild card team if they have car quarterbacks. Probably. Yeah, you know what the thing is? I think it's because of Josh McDaniels. You know, he wants to run his full team. He wants to run uh, his version of the Vegas Raiders. What what he sees in in his version. And he wants to get rid of anybody that's connected to the previous administration. So that means yeah. Derek Carr, he's gone. Uh, Josh Jacobs, he's probably gone. I mean, they'll probably let Josh Jacobs leave just to receive the compensation, which would be pretty significant right. considering the contract that he's probably going to sign. Uh I've heard Darren Waller might be on the market. I've also heard uh, Hunter Renfro might be on the market as well, the trade market. So it it just seems like they're basically blowing up Vegas entirely and bringing in Josh McDaniels guys. I mean, that's what the, that's why, why do you think they, why do you think they sat Derek Carr the last two games and they brought in, uh, they brought in Jared Stidham. Who the who the Raiders had traded for uh, after McDaniel's was named head coach because because Stidham is a McDaniel's guy. Oh wow! Yeah, a lot of these so, the, the, the bigger ego coaches that are you know coming with a big name. They you're right. They like to clean house and get their people. They don't care who the what the background is. If the quarterback or the star isn't their handpicked selection, then they're going to clean house. One by one, right? You're right. That's what McDaniel's team would do. You're, you're correct. That's what it's. That's what it seems like to me, at least. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, let's move on to the NBA trade deadline. As who boy did it get Ooh, started? Yeah. Did it get started with a bang uh, this year? And this is even before the trade deadline even began. Uh, Kyrie Irving sent to the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2029 first-round pick, and two second-round picks in 2027 and 2029. So officially, the Mavericks will not have any picks in 2029. Uh, I mean... The first thing I just have to say about this is I think it's a huge mistake that's that's been done by Dallas. I agree. Huge, I agree. Huge mistake. Yep, one of them's gonna walk. It might be Luca. Eventually. They no, both, I don't think it's need, Well they both need I don't the ball. Think it's that. No, I mean well Kyrie could leave, but I mean no, they're both ball heavy. They need the ball in their hands to be to Exactly. Right. They, yeah. they both like not to mention Kyrie's just a complete diva with or without the ball, so that's a, a huge risk. I don't know. I, I mentioned it for 20 seconds earlier on Lou's show. I tried to, but I mean, I wa- I actually watched the Nets after Lou's show, and they have Dorian Finney-Smith. Then he had like he's got back-to-back games of 25 points. They gave away the game. They sh- they should have beaten the Sixers, who are fully healthy. The Nets. I'm telling you, they you have. Know, I'm telling you this trade they made. You know, the game rib. Kevin Durant and Curry Irving, I think it's going to hurt him. I really do. I think this is a bad move. Bad enough well, they were gonna... anyway, but losing Durant, that's a, that's a big loss for us. A big loss. They weren't going to win at all. They would have left one by one. They're both older. But, I mean, the Nets had to turn the page. They got back a bunch of good 
versatile. Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges could both be all-stars. They got both of them in a slew of picks for Durant. Yep. I mean, so it, they didn't do horrendous on these deals. They got younger and a lot more athletic and a lot more defensive, and they don't have the two divas. I don't know. Yeah. It's a oh, reset. No, no, no without, without a that's doubt. A I think, I, that's a play, I think that's a, they did real well. That's the playoff roster. That's the playoff roster still. Dinwiddie's yeah. really good. He was awesome. He made a name for himself as a net. So Dinwiddie's coming home. Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson are both, like, in their early 20s with all-star upside. You got both of them and a ton of picks. And Dorian Finney-Smith is one of the best defenders, uh, really good versatile. They're very versatile athletic players. They got a bunch of pretty pretty good players for two incredible superstars that were older and really unhappy. So, I mean, right. and, and KD's injury prone now. KD's still injured. So, I mean, yeah. they've got – I don't know. I know last week we talked about, like, Bam or um, Tyler Harrow. So, they could have gotten, like, two or three big names, but they got, like, four or five really solid players with upside. I yeah, and, and, and actually, and actually to, just to name off the full trade for Durant, uh, it was the Suns uh, getting Durant, and also I believe they got uh, – was it one Warren. of the Morris bro- – Oh, okay. It was T.J. Warren. Okay, yeah. So uh, I forgot the Morris brother went with Kyrie to uh, he was to Dallas. Buried. He was very yeah. uh, he's kind of he's kind of the lesser of the Morris twins, and they're both kind of not yeah. stellar. I mean, he's he's like a tenth man, eleventh man. Yeah, but the full so the full trade was Kevin Durant and T.J. Warren going to the Suns in exchange for Cam Johnson, McCall Bridges, Jay Crowder who the Nets then flipped for five second-round picks. They once loaded again, up. Once again, five second-round picks <laughs> from Milwaukee. You want to talk about a fucking overpay. Jimmy yeah. Batter's like a very average, very average role player. He's like a six-foot-four power forward. He talks a lot more than he actually performs. I mean, he sat Five out. Five second round picks. <laughs> That's absurd. Sean Marks got a lot of God. stuff back. Durant, Durant then, and Kyrie did not want to stay there. He got a lot for what he could do. And not what just that, had. they also got they also got four first round picks from the Suns, as Huge. well as a pick swap in 2028. So mm-hmm. technically five. And on top, Bridges and Cam Johnson, they they both started today. Johnson looked awesome, and Bridges had, like, 27 points. Bridges was schooling James Harden. And they're both, like, 23, 24 years old. Cam Johnson's, like, 21. Bridges is, like, 23. They got, like, 10, 12, 13 years younger with this swap. And then, like you said, they got about 98 picks out of it. Not bad. Right. Dinwiddie's a good player, too. Dinwiddie's a very good player. These guys want to be nets. Bridges and Johnson were, like, elated. Now they're going to – it's kind of going to be their team, you know, not – not Booker and uh, Chris Paul's team. So they're kind of starting their careers again, and they're both like 22, 23 years old. I don't know. I like the move. You know, I do have to say, though, Phoenix, that's actually quite a foursome four, or a fearsome four. It is. With Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and now you add Kevin Durant to that list. I mean, yeah, they did lose quite a few pieces, 
but you also pick up Durant, and assuming he can stay healthy, you have basically a big four out there in Phoenix. Yeah. Chris Paul's getting up there. I mean, he's 38, I think. Durant's 35. I mean, they got to win it, like, this year or next. But that's, I mean, they're putting all the chips on the, they're pushing all the chips into the table, so. Right. Yeah, that's incredible force. Um, uh, Kyle, have you, have you been following the uh, the trade deadline at all for the NBA? I have. Um, I've only heard this story before about Brooklyn getting old, older. No, I'm not going to say washed up because Katie is not washed up. Well, I've only heard this story before that Brooklyn wants to go in and get three all-stars who've been, like, amazing, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. Brooklyn, when are you going to learn it? It doesn't work. It does not work. It does not work. It does not work. So I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they got rid of Katie. And like you guys just said, that, that four right there is amazing. That four with Aiden and Chris Paul and Booker and Katie, that's, that's amazing. So, you know, um, maybe Brooklyn actually, like, learned their lesson. Like, hey, like, hey, we, we have a guy who's older, still an all-star, still can get buckets. Maybe it's time for him to, you know, get out of here. You know? Maybe Brooklyn, Brooklyn actually learned their lesson this time. Yeah. And by the way, uh, real, just real quick here, tonight is Kyrie Irving's, Kyrie Irving's first game playing together with Luka Doncic. Uh, Doncic has 11 points. Kyrie only has two so far early on. Uh, well, so needless, they, to say, needless to say, Doncic is still getting a majority of the uh, ball handling duties. Or of the Kyrie shooting, uh, I should say. Hopefully Kyrie doesn't uh, pull an MIA or uh, demand a trade within two weeks. It'll be interesting yeah. to watch. It'll be interesting. Oh, and – and not to mention, uh, the Mavericks are trailing the Sacramento Kings 38-35 right now. So uh, there is that. Uh, yeah. Overall, though, you know, I do think Brooklyn definitely got as much as they were going to get. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of surprised that Durant got that they got as much for Durant as they did because. You would figure that he would have that his trade value would have been a lot higher in in the uh, off season in this past off season if they had decided to trade him uh, before the season start before it started you know they probably could have gotten a hell of a lot more for him so the fact that they ended up getting as much as they did impressive I mean man yeah. it's it is impressive when you think of when you, you know think about it. You know, finally, it, you know, you know, he's finally going to get some good sleep at night and not be terrorized by a couple of divas. Uh, Sean Marks, the ownership of the Nets, and the GM and the coach. I mean, they they literally held that franchise hostage. I want to trade. Uh, and then a week later, no, everything's great. And then, you know, two in the morning, oh, the agent calls or some somebody calls. Oh yeah, no, Katie wants that. Oh, Kyrie wants that. Oh, Kyrie's missing. Kyrie won't take the shot. Uh, Kyrie, Earth, Earth flat, anti-Semitic. I mean, now they have a, a good core of young players, and they have a ton of picks, and now they can sleep a little right. bit better. Well, here's the thing. Here's like, the thing with uh, here's the thing with Kyrie though. Uh, Mark Cuban isn't going to put up with any of that shit. <laughs> you know. He, yeah, you're right. But I mean, 
what if Kyrie he's not does one of those, what's, he's what's not he one of those type of owners. But I mean, Steve, I, mean I respect it. I always respect your takes, but like what if he yeah. starts doing that? Steven's not gonna like <sighs> cut him. He could cut it. What do you think Kyrie cares? Kyrie does whatever he wants, dude. No one really puts that guy in check. He's insane. Honestly, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised, honestly, if if I would not rule out uh, Kyrie being cut by uh, by Cuban. Cuban is ballsy enough to do something I'd lo- like that. I'd love that. If he acts up, I'd love that. I mean, he's already. I just, I can't stand Kyrie. The guy literally wrecks teams wherever he. I mean, look at your. You'll go yourself. Yeah. He was absurd in Boston. He leaves the trail of. He just destroys wherever he goes. Yeah, not, not just that, but then, but then after he leaves Boston and after after the uh, the Nets sweep the Celtics, what does he do? He goes he goes to to the center court, uh, steps on Lucky the <laughs> Leprechaun, and wipes his feet on the logo like a fucking jackass. Uh, and he wonders why the fan he wonders why the fans hate him. They hated him he's to begin the with the fact that he lied. I mean, he's, he's the biggest diva in pro sports. Is there another? He's literally, like, tried to wreck or, or just really, like, he's like a human grenade. Wherever he goes, he just blows up everything and then just leaves. I've not, I mean, he's done this, like, what, four different times now? Three times? Four times? Three, to- three times. Three times. He's done it to Cleveland. He did it to Boston. And, he, and now he's done it to Brooklyn. And Harden, uh, James Harden, the other net was uh, he was getting pretty good at pulling a Kyrie too. Good riddance. I mean, they can finally move on now. Yeah, and you know, here's the thing with Harden. I'll say this about Harden: it was a calculated risk by Brooklyn, but it just didn't work out. You know, uh, Harden didn't really vibe with Kyrie and Durant, and. Uh, honestly, if I was Brooklyn, I probably would have still made that same deal that they made with, uh, yeah, that they made with Houston. I still would have probably made that same deal. Yeah, and there's so, so much that goes into these moves too. I know. I just Sean Marks is a smart dude. He's a good GM. They know what they're doing. I mean, they got what they could for these guys. These guys basically yeah. holding them hostage at the end of the day, just suddenly demanding a trade when you invest so much money and so much time into getting these guys and placating them, trying to make them so happy, doing whatever they want, giving them whatever they want. And then like in the middle of the night, they're all just demanding trades through their agents or their friends. And you wake up on Twitter and ESPN. Oh, really? They want to, they want to leave. Like they're terrorizing these teams. I mean, the Nets are just like, Oh, now there, there is one, while we have uh, obviously Brooklyn is still is still in the hunt, you know they're in I think the fifth spot right now in the in the uh, yeah. East. Yeah, uh, hundred. Yep. So we saw we saw Brooklyn add add and subtract. We saw Milwaukee add by I don't even know if we can call it adding because Crowder hasn't even played a single no. game this year. Uh, Philly, they got rid of Matisse Tibble, uh finally after after flirting with the idea for several years. Uh they finally got rid of Matisse uh Tibble and sent him off to the Trailblazers in exchange Blazers. for J- in exchange for Jalen McDaniels. It was part of a three team trade uh that saw Tibble going to the Blazers 
McDaniels going to Philly, and I believe, oh, yeah, the other part of the deal was Portland trading Gary Payton Jr., uh, or Gary Payton II for five second-round picks. Once again, (laughs) five second-round picks. Yeah. Uh, from the Golden State Warriors, which, by the way, that deal might be in jeopardy because uh, this is this is part of a of an even bigger deal that involved Sadiq Bay, James Wiseman, as well as a few others. Uh, basically, what happened was Portland withheld uh, informa- crucial information from the Warriors about Gary Payton and his uh and his health. And in particular, uh Payton has been dealing with a uh with an injury that may keep him out for a significant part of the remaining season. Yep. And now the Warriors believe that Portland withheld relevant medical information prior yep. to agreeing on that trade. Yeah, and Steve, it's interesting. I think I mentioned before, but I'm definitely a huge Blazer fan. I met a couple Blazers when I was a kid in the garden. It was really cool. So I'm, I'm totally random. Mets, Eagles, Blazers. But anyways, I, I read a lot of Blazers stuff, and I keep up with them and stuff. And, yeah, they were they were definitely hiding uh, kind of the physical. Peyton was not a good fit. He was apparently like Damian Lillard. Obviously, the Blazers aren't a great team anymore. They're trying to get there. But, I mean, Lillard is an awesome player and a great leader. Even Damian Lillard was really upset. He and, like, the rest of the Blazers, Nurkic and Josh Hart, who's now a Knicks, but a lot of the Blazers' older veterans were pissed off at Peyton. He wasn't a good fit. They thought he wasn't wasn't really injured. He was, like, miserable. He didn't want to really be in Portland. He never wanted to leave Golden State. So they thought he was just trying to get his way back to Golden State. He was sitting out a lot. He wasn't really playing good defense. He was a real malcontent in Portland. But now it turns out that he actually was injured. So I guess the Blizzard yeah. training staff was trying to hide it. Obviously, you can't really hide these things because when you go to the physical, yeah. uh, you know, Carlos Correa, you can't really hide these things from the doctors. Yeah, apparently apparently the Blazers had been giving him Toradol to alleviate yeah. pain, which is something that's typically done for players in the playoffs rather than the regular season. And the Warriors believe that they should have been told about that. Definitely. And this was that saw the Warriors send uh, James Wiseman to the Pistons, who then sent Sadiq Bay to the Atlanta Hawks, and then Kevin Knox II went to the Trailblazers as part of the deal. And uh, five second-round picks, including two from Atlanta, would then go to Portland as well. And... Gary Payton II would go back to Golden State as part of this deal. Uh, the but rest of might. the players, the rest of the players have passed their physicals and joined their new teams. Uh, however, though, there's a Sunday, there's a tomorrow night deadline at 9:30 p.m. for the Golden State Warriors to make the decision on whether or not to keep the trade or squash it. And if they squash it, this will add $35 million to their luxury tax bill this season. Wow, that's interesting. So that, that reminds everyone that they really wanted to get – I guess they got wanted to get rid of James Wiseman. Badly. Yeah. 
because not only has he been a bust, he's due for a huge amount of money. He was, what, yeah. number one or number two overall pick? What a bust. Um, but, yeah, this, so this could totally – this could screw up a lot of different trades. That, Like you said, there were so many different pieces and so many teams involved. If the trade doesn't go through, is it going to cancel a lot of those moving parts? Yep. If, wow. the, if the wow. trade doesn't go through. If the trade doesn't go through, everybody goes back to their original team. This has never happened before. That's the yeah. most. That's the biggest group of people being traded and then being nullified. Uh, any sport, this has never happened on this big of a scale. This many people. Go ahead, Lou. Uh, I think it's happened before. I'm going to say I think that it's never happened. No, I'm saying though, like with like three or four teams and, and like. Oh yeah, maybe that's like fifteen draft picks uh, on this big of a scale. I don't think it's happened. I'll give you that, but that that is a lie. That's true. That's crazy. We have seen like two or three before. Yeah, yeah. There's a statement that was made by the Blazers general manager Joe Cronin uh, yesterday, who claimed that the Blazers were confident that Peyton was healthy. Uh, he was stated as saying player safety is super important to us. It's a super important thing around the league. We were playing him, he was playing, and he had been cleared, and we were confident that he was healthy when he was playing. We would not have brought him back if we thought he wasn't healthy or if he was at risk. So you trust that we did the right thing and trust that our process was correct. A process like using Toradol? Yeah, and again with guys like Damian Lillard in the locker room and at the practice facility going, you know, Peyton, come on, dude, you're the new guy here. We need you. You know, we're small market. We're trying to make the playoffs. They were pissed at him. They, they thought he was faking it. And then they're shooting him up with Toradol. I think Peyton was kind of yeah. the victim. And now all these teams are going to kind of be victimized by the Blazers trying to kind of sweep it under the rug and act like he's healthy. That's, yep. that's a very crazy turn of events here. How about another team that really made some moves at the deadline this year? The Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. My God. You want to talk (laughs) about reshaping a team who, by the way, they are currently leading Golden State 98 to 96 right now on ESPN. Uh, They acquired D'Angelo Russell from Minnesota in exchange for a 2024 draft pick. They also acquired Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley from Utah in exchange for Juan Toscano Anderson, Damian Jones, Russell Westbrook, as well as draft considerations. Uh, They also acquired Devon Reed and a second-round pick from Denver in exchange for center Thomas Bryant. And they also acquired Mo Bamba from Orlando as part of a as part of a four team deal. One of the best athletes names ever. I don't know about you guys, but I actually like this deal. I, or I actually like this Lakers team a lot better now than before yeah. that deal was made. So do uh, I. And isn't it funny? They always seem to get these crazy deadline deals done. Like that. Those were all lopsided. Yeah. They stole Hachimura. Beasley's a really good shooter. Vanderbilt's like I, apparently I don't I haven't really watched him a lot, but the Blazers and several teams were trying to get the Knicks, the Nets, several teams were trying to get Vanderbilt. 
Mo Bamba's a good young big, but Orlando has five different centers. They didn't really need him. Yeah, the Lakers, like, made out like bandits, seemingly. They got a lot sure for him, but they didn't really give away anything. Yeah, oh, no. he's uh, Vanderbilt was terrific for Utah this year. And, by the way, wow. Vanderbilt tonight – Tonight, Vanderbilt is – he's two rebounds away from a double-double. He has 12 points and eight rebounds off of the bench to they go along with four of this. Yeah, they, they traded Westbrook, Westbrook and, like, two or three other end-of-the-bench players for, like, three starters. Or Vanderbilt right. and Beasley are really good. Bamba, Bamba could be a starting center. Yeah. Wow. And then D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, the Lakers yeah. always seem to pull off these deals that it like they, they don't really give up much. Yeah, Kyle, what are, Kyle, what are your thoughts about the Lakers? Uh, the Lakers completely rebuilding their team on the fly. So, so how weird is that? So, the night before you're part of history, you're literally a part of history in the NBA. Probably like. Say what you want about LeBron, whatever, 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 blah, blah, blah. It, it's not the time nor the place to affect it, whatever. So, think about it. You're literally playing with one of the best basketball players of all time, just broke the all-time scoring record, and then, bam, the next day. How crazy is that? Like, that, to me, is mind-blowing. But, like, you guys are saying, great moves by L.A., you know, like, he said, Obama, great basketball team. And, and honestly, you got Wade of Westbrook, as everyone's calling him right now. And I think it's great. You know, um, definitely much needed. Um, hey, props out to Rob Polinka and whoever's making the, the, the news in L.A. You know, great job. And, you know, uh, but for the guys, I just think it's, it's weird. You know, very awkward moment. Um, you're part of history, and then the next day you get a phone call from your boss saying, hey, uh, yeah, not anymore, my guys. <laughs> yeah, it's you know this is a complete entire roster shakeup of the Lakers uh, to where and, and by the way, uh, Russell Westbrook. It sounds like he will not be bought out by Utah, and he is thinking about no actually way. staying. That's he is actually so. thinking about he, he is thinking about staying in Utah. So, uh, wow. but. I mean, let's take a look at the Lakers right now. They lead 103 to 98. Uh, some of the numbers from tonight: Beasley, he only had four points off the bench. Uh, Mo Bamba is, of course, sidelined because of the altercation last week. Uh, he is currently suspended uh, for he's part of a four-game suspension right now um, for his role in a uh, in an <laughs> altercation. Uh, I mean, Dennis Schroeder, he got inserted into the lineup tonight. 22 points as the starting point guard, or maybe starting shooting guard. I can't really tell uh, based off of ESPN uh, here. Uh, Rui Hachimura, 14 points yeah. as, a, as a starter. Uh, Anthony Davis, he has a double-double, 13 points, 14 rebounds. Uh, Vanderbilt, like I said, 12 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. So clearly, you know, just right from the right from the get-go here, uh, the moves are working for LA right now. And uh, you know, normally I would have thought if okay, if uh, LA had their uh, let's say they couldn't get anything done at the deadline, 
I think L.A. – and keep in mind, this is without LeBron tonight. I think L.A. loses this game if they don't make those moves at the oh, deadline 100%. like they did. Especially without they LeBron, 100%. They were going nowhere. That's not even a 500 team. They were – that's like a 12 seed without these moves with LeBron. I mean, they were going nowhere fast. They had like four point guards. They had Beverly, Westbrook, Bruder, Kendrick Nunn. That was a horrendous roster. I'm just amazed. Again, I've seen this happen on some of Kobe's teams and some of uh, these other Lakers teams for the last 15, 20 years. They pull up these moves where you're like, the hell was the other GM thinking? Because, again, they really didn't give up much, and they got like three or four really good players in the last 48 hours. How the hell did that happen? They really didn't have much to give, and they landed Vanderbilt, Beasley, D'Angelo, Hachimura, Bamba. What the hell? (laughs) Yeah, and not to mention, too, they also had to give up draft compensation in order for Utah to even take uh, Russell Westbrook. So, So, yeah. You know, they actually gave up more – uh, some would say than what they actually got, but really what they actually got is better than what they gave up. So it's you know it's definitely a big a big uh, reason for what seems like it could potentially be the start of a turnaround for this Lakers team. Yeah, and I'm whatever at the place. I mean, I'm not. I have not a lot of love for uh, Showtime. I'm not a Laker fan by any means. I respect LeBron, but yeah, they were dead in the water. Now I could easily see, man, I've seen this script before. There's, there's plenty of time for them to turn it around. They could go as far as you can imagine in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> LeBron, oh, if AD stays healthy, they can get the, the they can get to the finals. It, they yeah. just have to get in. They don't, they don't need home court advantage with this, with this, this lineup. And by the, and by the way, I forgot the, I forgot D'Angelo Russell, 15 points, six assists, five rebounds for the yeah. Lakers tonight. Yeah, they that was one, easily, one of they the other easily, parts of that trade. The Warriors are breaking down a bit. The, the look, it's wide open. The Grizzlies totally cooled off, and John Morant's running around like he's Scarface, like he's not even focused on. The Grizzlies are not doing it. I mean, the Lakers could easily sneak into the finals now. Ugh. Well, I I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, we would have to see uh, if if everybody's health can hold up. AD with. is the key, I think. I think AD is, I don't know, yeah. the Laker team is really dangerous. I, it pains me to say it, but they have a damn good roster suddenly. By the way, an update uh, heading to halftime here, uh, or close to halftime at least. Sacramento leads uh, Dallas 61-56. Luka Doncic, 14 points, four rebounds, three assists. Kyrie Irving, four points, three assists, two rebounds. So uh, maybe, perhaps it, it seems like Kyrie is actually passing the ball a lot more than he than he usually is. So maybe it could work. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. He's being good, Kyrie. The little of the forty-eight hour honeymoon period. He's on his best behavior for maybe? a couple days. Yeah. Uh, one of the other moves that was made and it has already paid off because of what uh, he contributed last night against Charlotte, uh, the Boston Celtics, they acquired big man Mike Muscala 
from the Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for Justin Jackson and two second-round picks. And I, I'll just say this right from the right from the beginning. Uh, considering where Boston is is expecting to be the next two years or the next couple of years, second round picks aren't going to matter to them. And Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson, uh, he's the guy that you bring in when it's garbage time. So yeah. uh, they gave up nothing for an immediate impact player. And Mike Muscala and, did that last night with 12 points on all of them coming from three-point range. He's a veteran. Uh, and he's, a, a, he's a defensive, more proven version of a uh, much more proven version, a better version of uh, Cornette. Muscala's yeah, a good yeah. player. He'll be a good, a good bench piece for the playoffs for the Celtics. Great move. That's actually, you know, a lot of a lot of people may look at it as minor, but that's actually a pretty big move for Boston because Boston didn't have to give up Peyton Pritchard and they didn't have to give up Danilo Gallinari if there's any chance at all that Gallinari returns this year. Yeah, yeah it was a good yeah. uh, unsung, really good underrated move. That's a huge move for the Celtics. I can't, Steve, real quick on the Celtics, man. Blake Griffin was launching threes the other night, but, I mean, yeah. is, does he have anything left, or is he, is, was that a mirage? I mean, come on. He was hitting threes like right now. You know, it's it's really hard to tell if he has anything yeah, left, honestly, because it's. I mean, I'm try, I'm just trying to. So they were playing the 76ers. They were down Al Horford. They were down uh, Robert Williams. So technically, they were forced to start Blake Griffin because it would have been either start Blake Griffin or start Luke Cornett. And Cornette has proven Cornette has proven better this season to come off of the bench rather yeah. than starting a game. So, you know, I, I really think that Griffin, in in his case, it was just a, it was a, it was the case of the fact that Philly, for some reason, does not know how to guard threes from the perimeter. I don't know what it is, but they. You know, they just left the three point uh the three point line completely open for the most part. James Harden on Wednesday Mat- Matador, night. Mat- Matador defense, James Harden out there on the perimeter. But yeah, I saw that game. Blake Griffin was just raining down threes. Mascal is a shooter, man. That's a great move. Now, it, was it a mirage by Griffin? It's honestly, it's hard to tell because he's barely gotten any playing time this year. I mean. He's only 24 games played, and he's averaging about 13.4 minutes per game. Uh, honestly, he's gone for more two-pointers as opposed to three-pointers this year. He's only shooting 39, 39.5% from three, and I guarantee you a majority of those came against Philly. So, uh, you know, I guess he, he's just – He's basically been reduced to if if the Celtics need an extra body, basically. You know, it's not like he's going to be brought in in certain situations where, like, they need a big who can shoot threes. They're not going to they're not going to bring him in for that. They'll bring in Muscala now for that. Uh, you know, I think with Griffin, it's just a case of you know Boston. They made it to the finals last year. Uh, Griffin wants the opportunity to finally get an NBA ring and Boston 
you know, he's – I mean, he agreed to a veteran minimum. So, I mean, that basically tells you what his mindset is, that he doesn't care about playing time. He just wants – you know, he just, he just wants the chance to get a ring. And remember, that was interesting when, when Blake signed for the minimum. He said, yeah, he just wants to win and join it. Like, said something like he just wants to join a culture where everyone's on the same page and there's not a lot of egos. He was obviously taking a shot at uh, – Kyrie and the, the egos in Brooklyn at that time. Yeah. And it's true. You know, it's, it's true because uh, the, 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 the general vibe around this team this year, Blake Griffin immediately gelled with all the guys as soon as they, uh, as, as soon as he uh, signed with the team and, you know, was going through training camp and everything he has really become one of the brothers on this team, essentially. Even if he's sitting, even if he's sitting on the uh, on the bench, you know, most games, and it still makes a positive impact. He's a good veteran guy to have around, and he fits in. It's a good addition. Yeah, you know, he he's really helped uh, keep guys in line. Basically, he's helped he's helped basically calm guys down and whatnot. Uh, in certain spots. Uh, what I'll say about the Celtics, though, you know, I, I mean, w- you take a look at, at their roster and how it's constructed right now. Uh, they are going to be in the buyout market. It sounds like they're targeting Danny Green, potentially, uh, considering, uh, ho- uh, assuming he gets bought out. I don't like him at all, Steve. Bought- assuming he... They have they have the best team in the league. I watched a lot of NBA for maybe for better or for worse for whatever reason, I, more than ever this year. And they, they when they're hot, that's the best team I've seen definitely. They have I mean they have a great bench. Miscala now with Brogdon, plenty of guards. They have Tatum and Jalen Brown. They all play defense. They have plenty they of have shooting. Ha- they, they have, have a they have the best start- team. They they have Hauser starting to starting to heat up again. Uh, he's starting to become that three point shooter that everybody thought he was, uh, I mean, he's had three straight games of, uh, of double digit points, uh, 15 against Detroit, 14 against Philly and 12 last night against Charlotte. So, yeah. And they're playing, they have uh, such a good deep uh, bench unit. They've been overcoming all these random injuries. I mean, if, and when they get fully healthy, hopefully they are like, I don't see them losing in the playoffs. I think I, Knock on wood, I think it might be their year, barring some huge injury. I mean, they're the most impressive, like, consistent team that I've seen so far. And another big thing, too, is Brogdon actually agreed to be a sixth man. He agreed to come off the bench, you know, uh, even when he's getting paid $22.6 million under his contract. Uh, you know, everybody thought, okay, well, he's probably going to want the, the opportunity to be the starter, uh, to be the starter in Boston, which he wasn't going to get that because obviously Marcus Smart is the starting point guard. Uh, but the fact that Boston, before they traded for him, the fact that they actually got him to agree to be a sixth man for them off the bench, I mean, that's huge because Boston has been missing consistency on the bench. That's been their big weakness, pretty much. That's what they were missing against Golden State. 
is consistency off the uh, off of the bench. Whenever you know, whenever uh, Tatum or Brown wasn't out there, they didn't have a bona fide shooter. They have that in Brown, or I mean in Brogdon. They have that yeah. in Brogdon. Uh, they, you know, Derek White in his first full official season has really uh, has really started to heat up now. I mean, he had 33 – he had a career-high 33 points last night against Charlotte. At the half, <laughs> at the half, he had already set a new career-high for, him, for himself in three-pointers made with six before finishing with eight three-pointers on the night. Yeah, and I like him. He's, he's buried now. Look at that like fifth guard, like emergency backup. Riding the pine is is damn quite quite good. Tate and Pritchard, I mean they're very deep. Derek White and Bro- Brogdon's an amazing pickup. Like you said, he's a very good starter. For him to be a six man is huge. Yeah, that's, yeah. They're loaded, man. They're loaded. This is the best Boston team in years. I mean, would you agree with that? I, I think it could be. I, you know, honestly, I would agree. I would agree with that. I think apart from last year's team, which uh, we saw what last year's team did under Ime Udoka. Uh, I think this may be the most loaded team that we've seen in years, ever since t- uh, 2008. Yeah. And, I mean, we've seen some magical teams over the years since that since that championship season. But uh, this season, it just seems like there's a different – it seems like there's a different vibe coming off of this uh, this year's team. And here's the thing, you know, here's the thing that I just, I don't get about Peyton Pritchard is he's complaining about the fact that he's not getting a chance to play. Dude, tending team. You are, there are going to be games where you're going to be brought in for considerable time. Just like last night, you, you played 21 minutes against Charlotte. Time is going to come. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're buried on the depth chart, so of course, yeah, you want to get the chance to play. But you're on a contending team. Isn't the number one thing to get a ring? Yeah, yeah. you're right. And he's he's still young, and That's I wouldn't expect it from him. He's been like a good soldier for a couple of years now, and like you said, his time is going to come. He's got to be ready. And when the fact that they're in first place, Brad Stevens, the coach, they're not going to be happy with his. Uh, is pitching and moaning right now. Not a good look for pitchers. I mean, I mean, Lou and Kyle, yeah, Lou and Kyle. You know, if you were on a team and you were in Peyton Pritchard's situation, isn't that the number one goal just to get a to to get a ring? Uh, yeah, and, that's what it's all about. You know, who cares? Yeah. Who cares how much time, how much playing time you have? Right. You play to win to get a ring. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it brings back like an old age question. Like, would you rather be a starter or a bench player on a D1 squad, like say a two, or would you rather be a D2 star? Like, I don't know about you, but I'm choosing to be the 10th man at Duke and getting my eight to 10 minutes a game and contending for a national championship, you know? Um, heck yeah, I, I don't care if I'm number six, number 12 number 14, number 50, hey, like, like we said, like, everyone agrees, like, the ultimate, you know, thing is to, to win rings, so, yeah, I don't care, like, you know, I, I want to be a part of a culture that 
who's winning. I want to be a part of the staff that cares. I want to be a part of a team that, like, plays together. And, you know, our brothers, like, you guys were saying, I was hearing it, um, you guys were saying, Blake, like, Blake, Blake, what are you doing? You know, he doesn't care. You know, his time in the league is, you know, pretty much over. And he's saying, like, no, I still need the ultimate prize, you know. There's guys like, you know, John Stockton, Carmelo, and there's plenty of people in NFL who don't have a ring that are great players. But yeah, what's tarnishing their legacy is the ultimately uh, sports, you know, the, the biggest thing in sports. It's, it's rings, you know. Right. Uh, by the way, this just in, uh, according to according to the Denver Post, uh, Reggie Jackson is planning to join the Denver Nuggets following a buyout with Charlotte. Uh, Reggie Jackson, obviously, of course, was part of the NBA trade deadline uh, where he was sent from the Clippers along with a 2028 second-round pick and cash considerations wow. in exchange for center Mason Plumlee. Uh, to LA. So Reggie Jackson, he has agreed to a buyout with Charlotte and it is expected that he will sign with the Denver Nuggets. Really good move. He's a very good player, especially and I'll come off the bench. Jamal Murray, the starting point guard, really great. As as we know though, he's been injured a lot off and on. That's a great move. That that's actually uh just made me think. I mean, right now if I had to guess, uh Denver, I think I could see Nuggets Celtics in the finals. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's it's ball, possible. It out there. I just I I don't know about Denver because it ju- it just seems like they always seem to collapse at some point once the uh, you know once the playoffs come around. Like it's almost like they freeze in place. You are right, but I mean, I, Aaron Gordon's playing really really well now. Uh, Murray's going to be back. I like Reggie Jackson. And then, I mean, you got the Joker. There's a, there's a several teams in the West, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. I think that that's a good pickup though. Reggie Jackson's a good underrated player. Yeah. Uh, there, there were a couple of other names that were, uh, that were listed as possibilities at the trade deadline, like Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, uh, Pascal Siakam at one point was, uh, was a possibility. However, none of those players moved. However, we did get a move from Toronto, though, as they traded center Kem Birch and a first-round pick, I believe it was, to the San Antonio Spurs in exchange for center Jakob Pertl, who returned to Toronto, the team that originally drafted him. And I don't really get this from Toronto because it's not like they're a playoff team. I mean, maybe they're trying to potentially stay in the play-in tournament and get a chance to sneak into the playoffs. But, you know, nobody is really looking at Toronto as a threat. So I don't understand this move. I touched on about a couple weeks ago, maybe last week for a second. uh, They have a lot of good athletic players. And for some some reason we were talking about they were going to be sellers. They really needed – they didn't have a natural center. And now Fodal's a natural center. So, yeah, they're kind of like – they're taking, they're rolling the dice and seeing if they can make it into the playoffs and make some noise. They got Siakam, Stan Fleet, Scotty Barnes. Now they have a center. That's a pretty, pretty good lineup. 
And by the way, they did beat out the Boston Celtics, who offered yeah. Peyton Pritchard, uh, Danilo Gallinari, and multiple second-round picks. But it was the first-round pick that uh, that gave that uh, made the Spurs choose Toronto instead. So Boston originally was centered on Jakob Pertl before they then switched over. Uh, to Mike Muscala. That's according to Mass Live, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting because uh, you know nobody nobody had Mike Muscala even on the uh, radar for even being trade bait at all. Total's I mean, uh, legit, man. Think about if the Celtics got him; they have like three very good big men. Jesus. Oh yeah. Wow, they would have been even more loaded. I, you know, I actually wanted Jakob Pertl. Uh The problem is, is that he's a free agent, while Mike Buscala has a club option for next year. So, which I, I assume Boston's probably going to exercise it. So, uh, technically, Muscala has term, while Pertl, uh is an unrestricted free agent. So, you know... I guess Boston, they didn't want to give up a first-round pick because, you know, they they weren't going to – I believe they really saw Pirtle as a a rental as opposed to, you know, somebody that was actually going to be around for the long term. Yeah, good day, yeah. Uh, by the way, one of the other la- one of the other players that the Lakers sent out, I forgot about this, but Patrick Beverly uh, was sent to Orlando as part of that four team deal, and it looks like he is going to uh, he's going to be bought out and probably signed. There's a rumor that he will rejoin the uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, for what it sounds like, Magic are turning it on suddenly. They're making, a, they're going to make a late push for the playoffs. They're one of the hottest teams in the league right now. They're fine. They're young guys. They're finally getting good quickly. And speaking of the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, they acquired guard Nikhil Alexander Walker, uh, as well as Mike Conley, and a 2025 and 2026 second round draft pick from Utah. And let's see. I'm trying to see who Utah got in return. It's not coming up for me here. But uh, regardless, you know, uh, Minnesota, you know, they're one of those other teams that was also active. Uh, the Indiana Pacers were also active. They acquired forward Jordan Nawara. Uh, guard George Hill, forward Serge Ibaka, and three future second-round picks from Milwaukee, as well as cash considerations from Brooklyn as part of that four-team deal uh, that involved the Phoenix Suns, I believe. So that's I, I mean, there's a there's a lot of a lot of uh, different uh, you know a, a lot of different uh, variables to 
each of the multiple uh, multi-team deals that were uh, that were done here. Uh, let's see. The Rockets they acquired forwards Frank Kaminsky, Justin Holiday, and draft considerations from the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for guard Garrison Matthews and forward Bruno Fernando. That was pretty much a minor deal. Uh, the Miami Heat, this actually happened a couple of days before. Uh, the Miami Heat, they traded center Dwayne Dedman and a second-round pick to San Antonio for cash considerations. Uh, San Antonio has since waived uh, Dwayne Dedman, so he is free to sign with whoever he wants. But all in all, though, that was – you know, th- th- this was pretty much a a, a very active uh, trade deadline this year, and it really seemed like everybody was just waiting on the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving dominoes to fall, essentially, mm-hmm. before any move was uh, any move was done. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, uh, also, uh, I forgot, uh, the Thunder, they traded Darius Baisley to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for Dario Saric and a second-round pick, according to Shams Sharania of The Athletic. Uh, also, uh, on a previous, uh, updating a previous note, Steph Curry will miss multiple weeks with the left leg injury that he suffered in last Saturday's win against the Mavericks. Uh, He will be out uh, at least through the all-star break. And it looks like Dante DiVincenzo uh, will take his spot in the, uh, in the starting lineup until he returns. Yep. Which honestly, uh, the way that he played tonight, I think uh, I think I think Golden State needs uh, Steph Curry back as soon as possible because no, nope. didn't play well. Was he struggled tonight? He didn't play well tonight. Uh, well, let's just say they would have been a lot better off with uh, with <laughs> Steph Curry. Just yeah, tall yeah. task to try to uh, big big shoes to fill. Big, uh, big high tops to fill on that one. Yeah, Dante's in a tough spot. He's, he he needs to hit about six threes a night to replicate Steph. Yeah, let's see what he did tonight. Uh, or actually, no, he was off of the bench. He had five points off of the bench. Who was starting for? Oh, okay, I see what they did. So they put Poole in as the point guard. Uh, Thompson. Stayed at shooting guard. Then they had Wiggins at at uh, at small forward. Power forward was uh, Draymond, and they had Kev, they had Kevon Looney enter the starting lineup as the starting center. Interesting. So that's they why they were they were even competitive tonight. Well, it's going to be interesting to follow the Gary Payton thing and see if he returns to Golden State or what the heck happens with all that movement. Yeah, well, the deadline the deadline for that is nine thirty tomorrow night, so wow. uh, we should know yeah. by then. Uh, yeah. We should know by then if there's a, if there's a 
if that's gonna if that's gonna be uh, disassembled or if there'll be uh, you know if he will officially be returning. But considering the fact that he may be out for a, for most of the remainder of the season, I would not be surprised at all if that gets uh, if that gets uh, rejected. Wow. And there's the possibility that uh, Portland may face a penalty of several draft picks if that if that <laughs> ends up happening. That's all they need. Small uh, an update. An update on Kyrie Irving, uh, 12 points, five assists, and three rebounds uh, for Dallas. Luka Doncic, 23 points, six assists, or I mean six rebounds, four assists for the Dallas Mavericks tonight. Dallas now has a 77-73 to lead. So Kyrie is, I guess Kyrie is a second-half player this uh, in tonight's game. It seems to be the safe, but I mean, I know you kind of shot down Denver. I agree. Denver's been very erratic in the playoffs. I mean, West is wide open. Dallas is another team that might make it now. I don't yeah. want any rings on Kyrie's finger, but uh, they they play really good defense. Yeah. And now they have Doncic and Kyrie. Josh Green's a really good young player. Dallas could get there. I don't know. Personally, I hope Kyrie uh, throws a tantrum and it blows up. But maybe, like you said, Steve, maybe maybe Cuban keeps them in line. Maybe Doncic keeps him in line. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's and uh, here's the thing. I actually liked Kyrie's situation better in Brooklyn than I like his situation in Dallas because yeah. Brooklyn had a better, well-rounded roster. Dallas, I mean, really for the most part, their only threats in that uh in that roster i mean obviously luka doncic uh tim hardaway at times can be uh can be a threat uh christian wood if he's ever given any playing time which he he's only seen 7 minutes tonight for some reason uh reggie like bullock no they don't like uh, they reggie, don't like wood so far in Dallas. Yeah, no. Uh, Reggie Bullock can be pretty good, but apart from that, I mean, they lost Spencer Dinwiddie, and yeah, Finney you know, Smith. they they lost a considerable amount just to get Kyrie. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, yeah, they added Kyrie, but I think they may have subtracted more than what they added. So. I don't know if Dallas uh, has the depth to, you know, to make it far. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, they they needed, like, another sidekick for Luka. But Tyree's ego and his skill set might be, like, too big. It might, like, disrupt things. And like you said, they gave up some key role players and defenders. It could be awesome. Yeah. It could totally blow up. It's, right. it's a very ballsy move. Risky. Very yeah, it's possible. I, I, you know, I don't know uh, exactly how this will pan out for for Dallas. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe perhaps uh, Mark Cuban. I, you know, like I said, I think if anybody is going to be able to keep him in line, I think it's going to be Mark Cuban because you know, Cuban, oh, over the years, he has not put up with any shit, basically, from anybody, from any of his players. So. 
you know, I would not be surprised at all if uh, he keeps Kyrie in line. And another thing, too, is, you know, Dallas, there's the possibility that Kyrie may just skip town. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, I think, I think, I think, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, obviously if you're Dallas and you give up, uh, you know, you give up that amount that they had to give up, you're going to want to make sure that Kyrie is going to stay long term. I don't even know if he will. Does he, will he, will he be kind of 1A or 1B? Will he want to defer to, uh, Luka needs the ball in his hands. The chances are he, he won't want to stay in Dallas. If I had to bet right now, right, and plus he wanted to go to L.A. I mean, the, if you read about it, the Nets owner was so pissed off at him over the anti-Semitic, over all the the drama and the, the shit he was stirring that, that he was creating in Brooklyn. He specifically was like, he told the GM Sean Marks, "Screw it, trade him to Dallas. I don't want to make him happy. I don't want to send him where he wants to go. I don't want to trade him to L.A. Trade him to Dallas instead." <laughs> that was like. You know, that was the Nets owner's uh, demand. So Kyrie woke up on, on, on a team he wasn't expecting to go. Who knows? Is he going to suddenly fall in love with being uh, best buds with Lucas, Luca, or is he going to want to go to L.A.? Right. And, you know, I've heard this same thing before where he said that he's excited to to get to work with such and such. And, rah, rah, rah. You yeah. know, he basically said the same shit when he got when he got traded to Boston. So yeah, right. And we saw how that turned out. And then he yeah, and then he said the same thing. He said the same thing when he signed with Brooklyn. <laughs> coming home. Yeah, it's always always so so happy and then it just turns to shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not buying this whole thing from him just yet. But uh, over to the NHL, we we have we go from the NBA trade deadline now over to the NHL trade deadline coming in just a couple of weeks. However, there are some teams that are not waiting around. Uh, the first one, uh, just recently, the New York Rangers have acquired star forward Vladimir Tarasenko, as well as Nico Mikola from the St. Louis Blues in exchange for a conditional 2023 first-round pick, a conditional 2024 fourth-round pick, uh, former St. Louis Blues Sammy Blaze, as well as Hunter Skinner, uh, one of their uh, defensive. And as part of this deal, the Blues will retain 50% of Tarasenko's contract. Now, here's the thing. I would think that if you're the Blues and you're retaining half of of Tarasenko's deal, of his remaining deal, you would want to get more than what they got because I believe they could have gotten more. Yeah, and he's taking a passive contract. That's outrageous. He seems like I. You guys, you guys definitely know uh, know your stuff with hockey, but just my two cents. Just reading up on Tarasenko, like you said he's a very hot commodity on the market in a trade and then to, to inherit, to, to pick up 50% of the salary, they should have gotten at least one or two other really good prospects or draft picks from the Rangers. Right. Uh, Lou, what are your, what are your thoughts, Lou, on the Tarasenko trade going him now going to the New York Rangers? Oh, it's, you know, 
keeping uh, is keeping our uh, playoff hopes alive. I, you know, he's a good scorer, and you know, I think it's going to help the Rangers even more. And they've now won five in a row. So, uh, I, and the crowd loved it on on Thursday, uh, Frederick, and uh, you know, they were chanting his name and everything. So I think we got I think we got something going here with the Rangers, and they can maybe make a push uh, to get up in the standings uh, in the months to come. I mean, they're undefeated now in February. So uh, I think we're in good shape here. Yeah, and you know they uh, he did score he did score in his debut too, uh with the yep. Rangers. I was six two tonight. Yeah, I mean you take a you take a look at top line. You have uh Artemi Panarin, you have Mika Zabinajad, and now you have Vladimir Tarasenko for a top line. That's actually a pretty impressive top uh, top pairing yeah. for for the Rangers. I mean, that's like uh, well, it's, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to put to, to make an equivalent, but it, that's like the Boston equivalent of of uh, uh-huh. Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, and David Pasternak, basically. Uh, now, granted, Tarasenko is having a little bit of a down year. Maybe that might have had something to do with uh, why they got, uh, why they didn't get more for him. However, he is a former, he is a former Stanley Cup winner. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a prolific goal scorer previously for St. Louis. He had 34 goals last year for St. Louis. Uh you know he is capable of producing multiple seventy-point seasons. Uh huh. And so far this year, he has eleven goals, nineteen assists for thirty points, uh, while also being a minus seventeen. But then again, that's because St. Louis sucked this year. So, uh, you know, I just I kind of think I still kind of think that St. Louis could have gotten more for Tarasenko simply because of the type of player that the type of player that he is and what he brings to a team. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I think New York is definitely a lot better off having acquired him. I think so too. So I think we got some really going here. However, the Rangers weren't the only, weren't the only team in New York making deals as the New York Islanders, made a splash of their own a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I don't know why I didn't bring this up last week, but uh, the New York Islanders, they acquired highly coveted center Bo Horvat from the Vancouver Canucks oh, yeah. in, exchange, in exchange for forwards Anthony Beauvillier, Atu Rati, and a lottery-protected 2023 first-round pick. And... In particular, it is a top 12 protected pick. So if New York falls among the top 12 selections this year, then they will retain their first-round pick. Uh, and if if the pick does land in the top 12, the Islanders would have to send Vancouver their 2024 first-round pick as part of the deal. And Horvat, I mean, my God, you know, Boston was on was on was on the heels of the Islanders trying to uh, get Horvat, 
Horvat this year, uh, 34 goals, 24 assists for 58 points currently through 53 games played. Uh, he just signed a massive extension as well uh, with the Islanders, an eight-year deal worth about $8.5 per year. So basically, he will be a New York Islander for almost the rest of his career. He'll be 36 time he hits free agency. Uh, so, I mean, this is definitely their their first line center for not just the present, but also many years into the future. Uh, it's definitely a huge get for the New York Islanders, considering when, when you consider uh, the fact that they're trying to rebuild themselves into being a contending team. Uh, currently, they stand about – well, actually, they're not that far out. They're only one point out of a playoff spot right now. Yeah. So, technically, playoffs are still in the, – they're still in – uh, you know, in the picture for potentially making the playoffs in a deep metropolitan division this year, uh, considering they trail the cap right now, the Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins hold the two wild card spots, and they trail the Islanders trail the Penguins by one, and the Capitals by two. So there's still room potentially for the Islanders to uh to make a playoff uh, a playoff push here and to tell you one thing Bo, Bo Horvat will definitely uh will definitely help with that playoff push so yeah uh let's see one of the other bits of news here uh let me why is this not coming up here? Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, one of the other teams involved in the playoff uh, picture. Uh, yeah, believe it or not, Buffalo is actually in the playoff picture. They are not that far out uh, of a potential wild card spot. They currently sit at 56 points, so they're about five points out. Uh, trailing the Florida Panthers with 58. Uh, and obviously Washington has 62, Pittsburgh 61, and New York has 60. Uh, by the way, uh, the Rangers currently sit third in the Metropolitan Division with 70. So that Tarasenko acquisition is going to help them extremely. Uh, but the Buffalo Sabres, they have extended one of their own, uh, signing center Dylan Cousins to a seven-year contract extension uh, worth an average annual value of $7.1 million per year. Uh, the deal also includes a five-team no-trade clause in the last three seasons of the deal. So he will be a free agent when he, when he turns 28 years old. Uh, he joins fellow players uh, Tej Thompson and Matthias Samuelson uh, as the recent seven-year extensions for the Sabres. They try to ensure that this current core 
of young players sticks around and grows and hopefully grows into a contender. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is another thing I want to talk about as well. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, you want to talk about a dumpster fire this year. The fact that they basically led former head coach Bruce Boudreau around uh, like he was a mouse in a maze looking for cheese. And they ultimately ended up firing him after a win. Uh, basically, they were they were holding him hostage, essentially. Uh, they end up firing him while making him go through this whole media circus the entire time. It, it was basically the NHL's worst-kept secret. Uh, they then hired former uh, Phoenix Coyote coach Rick Tockett as the new head coach to replace Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, former NHL defenseman Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar were also added to the coaching staff, replacing assistant Trent Cole, who was also fired as part of the uh, as part of the uh, the tandem with him and uh, Boudreau. Uh, I mean, Boudreau he finished with a record of fifty, forty, and thirteen in one hundred and three games. Uh, as head coach of the Canucks. You know, it's just, it was a disrespectful way for Vancouver to go about things with with a coach like Boudreau, uh, who is considered to be one of the most well-respected coaches in NHL history. And that's bullshit. He's never do a coach like that. I mean, there were many details. There were many details of his impending firing that were leaked to the media throughout the whole decision-making process by the organization. And he was visibly emotional uh, as he coached his last games with the Canucks, and he ended up receiving an outpouring of support from Canucks fans in the process. Good for him. Uh, so now. So now he's basically kicked to the curb while Rick Tockett, uh, I mean, in four in 438 career games as an NHL head coach, he doesn't have that much of a stellar record. I mean, 178 wins, 200 losses, and 60 overtime losses during stints with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Arizona Coyotes. I mean... And plus, he's only been to the playoffs just once in his coaching career. That was with uh, Arizona back in 2020. I mean, this, uh, I just, I don't, I don't understand why they did the whole dog and pony show with, uh, you know, with Boudreaux. I mean, if you're going to fire him, you're already out of the playoff picture to begin with. You're nowhere close to even being a contender this year. Just wait the season out. Let Boudreaux finish the season and then fire him in the off season. I mean, with with a with a coach that has the resume that Bruce Boudreaux does, 
he he at least deserves to be treated with a little bit of respect. And yeah. and he got absolutely nothing in terms of respect from the uh from the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, Jan's realized that and their current roster will resent that and then probably most importantly other teams, other players, yeah. potential free agents, they're going to look at that too. That's just a terrible look by the franchise. Now, the, the, you know, Brudreau is a guy who previously, he was previously the coach of the Washington Capitals for five years uh, before he ended up being fired midway through his fifth year. Uh, he was the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks for five years where they made the playoffs four years out of the five years. By the way, they made the playoffs under him four out of the five years when he was in Washington too. Uh, Then he spent four years or parts of four years in Minnesota where he made the playoffs the first two years uh, before missing the playoffs in his third year and then being fired midway through the, through his fourth year. Uh, and I will say this about Minnesota. Part of that is because they had Devin Dubnik as their starter, which, I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, you know, seeing Dubnik play uh, down in Springfield when he was first starting out his career, you know, nobody ever thought he would even be an NHL goaltender to begin with. So, I can't really say that Minnesota's yeah. struggles in their last two years were were even on Boudreaux. Uh, then obviously last year Vancouver, uh, he coached fifty seven games. I believe he was brought in to replace uh, Elaine Vigneault. I think uh, fifty seven games th- with a record of thirty two fifteen and ten. Uh, they finished fifth in the Pacific Division, and they missed the playoffs. Uh, then, obviously, this year he got fired when uh, they had a record of 18-25-3 uh, for only 39 points at the time. Yeah. So, throughout his career, he's he's coached 1,087 games with a career record of 617 wins, 342 losses and 128 overtime losses. He has a career postseason record of 43 and 47 through three different teams. And the furthest he's gotten was the conference finals with the Ducks back in 2014, 2015, when they lost to Chicago that year. So, you know, ultimately, it's it's just it's just an ultimate sign of disrespect by by Vancouver, and honestly, they should be ashamed of themselves how they mm-hmm. handled uh, this whole process. And what sucks for Boudreaux is this is probably the end of the line for him. I mean, I, I, I'm sure obviously, I'm sure obviously that teams would pro would probably pick him up, but. I mean, he's 68 years old. You know, you don't really see coaches coach into their late 60s like he like he has been. Right. So, 
I, you know, I'm not all that certain that he would, uh, you know, that he would essentially come back. So I think it's possible that uh, that may have been his final game that he had co- that he has coached in the NHL. Which I assume, you know, I assume he's probably going to be uh, a Hall of Famer uh, whenever the time comes for him to get his name called uh, for the NHL Hall of Fame uh, as a coach. I would be I would be surprised if he doesn't make it. Uh, but it's unfortunate that he didn't get the opportunity to uh, compete for a Stanley Cup and add a Stanley Cup to his. Uh, to his resume. But uh, looking at the current standings right now, as it is in the NHL, the Boston Bruins, they're still the number one team in the league, 83 points, 39, eight and five record. Uh, We're next fine. in the Atlantic, next to the Atlantic, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, 32, 14, and eight with a 72 with 72 points. The then the Tampa Bay Lightning, 34, 16, and two for 70 points. Those are the top three teams right now in the Atlantic Division. Uh, so they are currently firmly in a playoff spot. Uh, the other three firm playoff spots right now for the uh, Eastern Conference: the Carolina Hurricanes with 76 points. Uh, the New Jersey Devils with 73 points, and the New York Rangers with 70 points in the Metropolitan Division. Yeah. Uh, those top three are currently in playoff spots. Uh, the two wild card teams as of now, the Washington Capitals with 62 points and the Pittsburgh Penguins with 61 points. However, they do have the New York Islanders with 60, the Florida Panthers with 58 and the Buffalo Sabres with 56 points to worry about. So uh, the Eastern conference is still, I'd say if anything, the wild card spots are basically the big spots that are open for uh, wide open, basically for business. I think the top three spots are probably locked down. The only question is what the order will be for those top three spots and both the Atlantic and the Metropolitan uh, Division. For the Western Conference, uh, the top three spots in the Central, you have the Dallas Stars with 70 points, the Winnipeg Jets with 65, and the Colorado Avalanche, the defending Stanley Cup champions. uh, They have rebounded back, and they are now with 60 points. Uh, they're tied with the Minnesota Wild, actually. But because of a tiebreaker, Colorado uh, is currently the third best team in the Central Division. Uh, let's see. For the Pacific Division, you have the Vegas Golden Knights on top with 66, Edmonton with 65, and the Seattle Kraken, the second-year Seattle Kraken, with 63 points. Uh, those are your top three for the Pacific with the LA Kings uh, currently tied with Seattle actually for the number three division so uh, they have 63 the Calgary Flames are also in uh, right now they're in the playoff picture with 60 points uh, looking to 
potentially take that second wild card spot, uh, depending on who wins the tiebreaker uh, between Colorado and Minnesota. As it looks right now, it would probably be Minnesota or no, it would be LA and either Minnesota or Calgary that would have that uh that would have those two wild card spots as it stands in the uh Western Conference. So obviously still a lot of season left to go. They got about thirty games left on the schedule and with the trade yeah. deadline coming up, uh there's still a lot of dominoes yet to fall. Uh, some of the notable names out there, Jonathan Taze of the Chicago Blackhawks might get moved. Uh, Jacob Chitrin, nothing has, uh, nothing has come up uh, involving him uh, the last couple of hours, despite, uh, except for what I had said previously. Uh, so it looks like his decision won't be made until tomorrow or maybe even Monday. Uh, Brock Besser of the Vancouver Canucks is another name that has come up, as has Tyler Bertuzzi of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Patrick Kane of the Blackhawks has also come up, but it sounds like he may be opting for season-ending surgery. So that might uh, – that trade opportunity might be out the window. Uh, Sean Monahan of the Montreal Canadiens is another potential option that could get moved. Uh, Jake McCabe of the Blackhawks is a name that's expected to get moved, and it sounds like the Blackhawks are asking for a first-round pick in return for Jake McCabe. So uh, I honestly I don't think he's worth that much, but we'll see. Uh, what they can possibly get for him. Uh, some of the other names, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, the for, the uh, captain, I believe, of the St. Louis Blues. He is currently looking like he may be headed out next out of St. Louis after they traded Tarasenko. Timo Meyer, uh, the number one right wing of the San Jose Sharks, looks like he may be on the move, as well as their Star defenseman Eric Carlson, uh, he is probably, it sounds like, talks between him and the Edmonton Oilers have been ramping up, so he's probably going to be on the move. Uh, Luke Shen of the Vancouver Canucks is another name that has popped up, as well as James Van Riemsdyk of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, John Klingberg of the Anaheim Ducks, though, honestly, with the down season he's been having, I don't think any team is going to even want him. Uh, Capo Caco of the New York Rangers has also popped up as a potential option for teams out there. Don't even go there. Don't even go there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's still it's still kind of scarring. I remember we talked about him uh on the show previously about uh what wasted potential he has had. Uh though I mean he's doing too bad this year. He's not doing too bad this year though. 11 goals, 17 points. He is having a career year, I guess you could say in his fourth year. It's uh, kind of hard to put it that way, but that's technically the definition of a career year. 
we do have breaking news for the UFC. Yair Rodriguez has submitted Josh Emmett in the second round to become the interim UFC featherweight champion. So I do, I, I do know that I, I believe uh, wasn't uh, wasn't the other Steve talking about uh, there's a a big title fight tonight. I think Lou. Yes. Now it's it's, uh, oh yeah, it's Makachev and Volkanovsky. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It's actually it's for Makachev's lightweight title. Uh Volkanovsky actually is the current featherweight champion, so uh his title isn't up for grabs. It's Makachev's lightweight title that's up for grabs. Uh, and Rodriguez will then face off against Volkanovski uh, next as as Volkanovski's next opponent following tonight's fight with uh, Makachev. So uh, that should be that should be kind of interesting to see moving forward here for the UFC. Right. Uh Yeah, you know what? I think that is going to be about where we're where where we'll wrap it up tonight. Uh, yeah, good show, Keith. Good show, man. Yeah, uh, I do want to. I do want to thank. Uh, I want to thank Lou, Diane, uh, Alex, and Kyle for joining me tonight. A uh, programming note for Survivor fans: uh, February twenty third, we will be doing the cast assessment podcast for Survivor forty four, uh, and immediately following the uh, following the season premiere, which I believe is on March first. I think March first. Uh, the following day after that, we will be doing the first. Uh, edition of the Survivor 44 recap show. So any Survivor fans, feel free to join us there. Uh, for anybody who is interested in subscribing to the Missy AE podcast, you can do so by going to blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE. You can also find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. You can now find us on Google Podcasts as well. Uh, we're also on iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, and any of any of the other major uh podcast providers as well i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure you can find us uh everywhere else so uh until next saturday night uh everybody have a good rest of your weekend and we will see you guys next saturday for another edition of sports whispers weekly